I thank you for, for Thanksgiving for my polka dots. Turn it on and rip the knob off. Hey guys, welcome back to the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Ray Russell here, and welcome to a special holiday episode of the Wrestling Grenade. It's Happy Turkey Day! Happy Thanksgiving to those here in the United States. Happy Thursday to everyone worldwide listening to the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Reminder, you guys can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Home of the free prize giveaway is Twitter and Facebook now. Of course, on Twitter, you can follow us at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And over on Facebook, you guys can follow us at Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Again, R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade there on Facebook. Or maybe soon it'll be Meta.com. I'm not really sure what's going to go on with that. You guys can follow us right now for your chance tonight to win our next free prize giveaway. It's an October 1992 WWF Magazine. With Tatanka on the cover, why Tatanka? Why not? It's Thanksgiving. I figured it was something different to do. So why not Tatanka? WWF Magazine, October 92, a very cool cover. I think it's one of Steve's favorite covers from the old WWF mags. But yeah, so tonight we're going to draw our next free prize giveaway winner. Winner to be announced tonight, Thanksgiving night. You can follow us right now. It's not too late. Follow us right now for your chance to win. And you can continue to follow us for future chances. To win all of our free prize giveaways, whether it's autographs that Steve gives out, magazines, all kinds of other goodies that we uh, come across and decide, you know what, let's let the loyal listeners have a shot at uh, attaining and owning some of these great pieces of memorabilia. So all you got to do is follow us and you're automatically entered, automatically entered into each and every free prize giveaway we do. You can win anything. We've given away everything from Lex Luger, promo picture, 1989 United States Heavyweight Champion Lex Luger promo pick, autographed, of course, Bret Hart. Just given away not too long ago. Uh, winner was at P80s here on Twitter. And he uh, retweeted a picture. You guys can go to our Twitter account and see that picture he retweeted. Of course, he's holding up the Bret Hart autograph we sent him. Uh, congratulations on that win. A very cool uh, picture indeed Steve sent out. And in our latest here, uh, we've given away Brutus the Barber Beefcake, <laughs> the 8x10. Autographed 8x10 of the Barber as well on Halloween because Brutus the Barber Beefcake is back. Brutus the Barber Beefcake is back! Six of the scariest words you could ever put together. Brutus Beefcake for Halloween there. And, uh, of course, now Thanksgiving, Tatanka, why not? I, like I said, the magazine is available. We're going to draw tonight. So as you're listening to this, this is dropping Thursday morning. So you have all day to follow The Grenade right now on Twitter or Facebook or both places. And you double your chance, if you follow us both places, of getting an opportunity to win this free prize giveaway. A reminder, this is a special bonus episode that we thought we'd throw out there in light of the holiday spirit, the tradition of this time of year, if you will. More on this episode in just a moment. For those looking for our latest edition of The Grenade featuring April of 1993 in the WWF, that just dropped yesterday. And it's already available as episode number 39 of The Grenade. You can find April 93 in the WWF, aka episode number 39, anywhere you listen to our show. That's WrestleCopia.com or any of your favorite podcast streaming apps. In today's bonus episode, we take you back in time to November of 1995 
and the WWF Survivor Series. This is a special Survivor Series 95 watch-along. Up until now, it was only made attainable by the $5 all-access tier over at patreon.com slash russellcopia. Gives you early access to the Grenade shows, all of my insanely detailed show notes for both the Grenade and Monday Warfare, unedited versions of TR Shocks the World, and yes, of course, our Patreon watch-along series, which includes Saturday Night's Main Events, the Coliseum Video Collection, Clash of the Champions, and WWF WCW pay-per-views that coincide with the Monday Night War era, complimentary pieces to our Monday Warfare The Battles Within podcast, our sister show, Monday Warfare. Over at Patreon, you guys can listen to all of the watch-alongs for the pay-per-views we do during the Monday Night War era, and that started in late 95, and we're in the middle of 1996 now. We've hammered out WrestleMania 12. We've done some In Your Houses, Slamboree 96. We're coming up on the debut of the NWO here very shortly. Uh, but we also did Survivor Series 95. We actually recorded this particular watch-along last year around this time, the Monday before Thanksgiving, 2020 to be exact. And here we are one year later in the spirit of the Survivor Series. We wanted to do a little something special for our loyal listeners and drop some extra content out here for free. I certainly hope you guys enjoy this episode of The Grenade and watch the Series 95 along with us as Steve and I go back in time to witness the famous Diesel versus Bret Hart title match. The first and only wild card match in Survivor Series history. The return of The Undertaker after his face-crushing experience at the hands of King Mabel. A very underrated Body Donnas versus Underdogs elimination match. Bam Bam Bigelow's swan song in the WWF as he takes on newcomer <sighs> Gold Dust. And the ladies from the All Japan Women's Organization invade the WWF here. Plus, Mr. Perfect returns to the company after more than a year and a half hiatus. All here on Survivor Series 95. It's a really fun show, guys, that doesn't get talked about nearly enough. So please sit back, enjoy this episode, people, because by the time you hear this, I'll be cooking away in the kitchen and watching NFL Network to see who this year's jive turkeys are. Again, this is a bonus episode. April 93 in the WWF dropped yesterday, and we'll continue on pace when we return next Wednesday with more WWF in 1993 goodness, a special European Rampage Tour 1993 watch-along as we watch not one, but two big events in Europe from April 1993. It being Thanksgiving, we here at The Grenade at WrestleCopia brand are thankful for you, our loyal listeners, the feedback you give us, the support you show, the retweets, the likes, the follows, the YouTube subscriptions, our patrons. As we continue to grow, we give you our thanks from the very bottom of my heart. And while we're giving thanks, Big Dust, what are you thankful for this holiday season? What I think of all for Thanksgiving for my polka dots. I should have seen that coming. Okay, folks, be back next week with Steve for more WWF in 1993. But for now, it's Survivor Series time. So head on over the Peacock, watch along, and enjoy. This is the WWF Survivor Series 95 watch along in five, four, three, two, one. Press play. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Perfect!
And we get going there. And this was the return to the WWF of Mr. Perfect. We hadn't seen him since the uh, WrestleMania 10 fiasco, maybe a, a, a taping or two afterwards. So Mr. Perfect's back in the WWF once again here at the tail end of 1995. Yeah, I remember getting this on pay-per-view and uh, seeing Mr. Perfect come out was awesome. Uh, it got you going right away. He's back, so you, obviously Mr. Perfect's Mr. Perfect. So um, you're always excited when he comes back. So it, it was a great way to start the show. And just watching it here, man, I had goosebumps. Just hearing his music and the way Howard Finkel introduced him, like, you know, just doing what Howard does. And um, just amazing, man. Yeah. I, I'm, like I said, I got goosebumps. Yeah, I, I wanted to put that in context just in case anybody's listening doesn't really understand. Mr. Perfect was not in the company. This was not announced ahead of time. This is how they opened up their show, a special surprise return of Mr. Perfect to the WWF. And one of my favorites of all time, maybe to this day now, probably my top one or two favorites, but certainly back then, one of my always in my top three favorites of, of in all of wrestling at the at that time period, even though he wasn't wrestling. So once he once they did that, I go, oh, my God, it's Mr. Per- I, you hear the music and the music alone. And then here he comes to the ring. And it's, oh, my God, Mr. Perfect, all is right in the World Wrestling Federation. Mr. Perfect's back. That's the WWF I know. And they could have put shit out here for the first match. And it took me about a half hour before I realized how crappy this show was at that. But it's not. It's a great match. But, I mean, they could have put shit out here to open the show. Maybe this is when they should have put Bammer and Goldust out here because I would not have noticed otherwise because I was just elated, ecstatic, excited, and just a fanboy mark. At this point, seeing Mr. Perfect back and just waiting for him to say those first few words here as they open the show. I don't know if this is the first night we get the three-man team, but this is right around when they're they're starting up the three-man team, basically trying to copy that Monday Nitro situation with Eric Bischoff and company. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is the first, but it's definitely different. And uh, I, can re- I recall, like, he did really well on commentary. Uh, he sounded good. He knew what he was talking about, and he was believable. I mean, like, you really don't need to say much to everybody knows who Mr. Perfect is. And he brought a lot to the table as far as commentary goes. Yeah. He wasn't um, really ready for the women's match. I don't, a lot of sexist comments in there. Not that I might, I mean, it was, it was, it was done in, in comedy, you know, as comedy bits, but it was just, he, he had no background, no knowledge of anything going on in that match. So I know that one's a little, it kind of threw him off, threw him for a loop, but I, I love, I love seeing this here. And I, I think this is the pay-per-view where he tells Vince McMahon, uh, you said anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation, and uh, obviously he, he comes back and all of a sudden Barry Horowitz is no longer a job guy. So I, I love the way you put Barry Horowitz over there and, and did it at the expense of the old the, the WWF slogan, anything can happen in the WWF. Yeah, he, he's, he was on top of it. Like I, To be honest with you, it was a one-man show with that women's match. It was, it was Jim Ross, and that was about it. Vince had no clue. Yeah, Mr. and Perfect Jim, really I'm sure it. Jim wasn't sitting around watching all Japan women's shows in his off time. I'm sure that was Jim knowing that hey, somebody needs to study up on this to, to you know to make this passable. Jim being a professional is what that was really. Is Jim Ross just being the professional he was in situations like that? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. So he's not going to go out there making ass out of himself. He may do it now just because. I mean, he he's already established. He, he does he can do whatever he wants at this point. He's Jim Ross. So, so um, let's let's talk about this match here for a minute. And it's the underdogs, the team of Marty Janetti and company. Has he led to the ring? Of course. Who do we got out there with Marty? We got uh, Bob Sparkplug, Holly, 
Barry Horowitz. Well, I guess what is Horowitz? The captain, I suppose. It's uh, Barry Horowitz leading the team of Marty Jannetty, uh, Bob Sparkplug Holly, and of course his buddy Hakushi. And Bob Holly wasn't originally a member of this match. He actually replaces Al Snow Avatar, who at this point has still only made one <laughs> made his debut on an episode of Monday Night Raw. But the story goes that Bob Holly was pretty pretty much ready to quit the company, and this was the bone they threw him. And I think they they give him another bone at the Royal Rumble. They let him stay in the Royal Rumble match for 20, 30 minutes, something like that. Uh, But this is a bone they threw him. They took Al Snow off the show because he had just got to the company and they weren't really sure on the Avatar gimmick anyway. And so Bob Holly replaces Avatar. And here's our other replacement. On the opposite side of the ring, we got the Body Donna team. That's uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard you see out there, the Heavenly Bodies. Jimmy Del Rey is long gone. Rad Radford, uh, a.k.a. Louis Spicoli. The leader of the Body Donnas, of course, is Sonny. But for tonight, we're going to pretend it's Skip. Skip in the ring, Chris Candido. And the fourth member was set to be Jean-Pierre Lafitte, another guy who has issues right now with the company and and more specifically the click. Uh, But that's not why he's not here. He's not here because uh, apparently he had a hernia surgery and he was out anyway with an injury. So they sell it like he was paid to take the night off. And of course, here we see action from last week's Raw where the 1-2-3 kid turns on his buddy Razor Ramon and aids Psycho Sid in this win here over the Intercontinental Champion non-title match. And that's pretty much where we are now. DiBiase's basically paid the kids' way into this match here at the Survivor Series. I like it. You know, Razor came down and trying to get that heat. And, uh, oh, yeah. Your buddy, uh, Gerald Briscoe out there, Tony Gurria, Rene Goulet. Tony is not my buddy. <laughs> that's your boy. And, uh, <laughs> again, it's cool way to open the show like uh, having him come out and start stuff you really didn't see that very much back then and uh, he wanted to get at the kid for screwing him against Sid so I thought that was pretty cool again like they did a lot of stuff right away to get you hyped up for this this show and then these guys all eight of them can really I mean outside of maybe Horowitz um, but he's talented in his own oh Barry can go Uh, Barry Barry was very underrated I mean it's just I think once they actually started pushing him that's when he kind (laughs) of lost his groove because he was too busy trying to work a gimmick or, or whatever it was on top of just being able to come on here and wrestle. Everything almost yeah, had to be, uh, you know, accidentally done. And nice move there yeah. by Janetti. Misses the kid, Pritchard off the ropes. Fun spots here as we get things going R- real fast. I love it. You, just, you look at the names in here, and you just know you're going to get a good match. You know, you got Janetti oh, yeah. on the one. I mean, it's just crazy. I don't know how many times Marty Janetti opened a Survivor Series as I start to think about it here in the 90s anyway. He was in that opening, great great finish to that 93, really fast-paced uh, finish to that 93 Survivor Series match with Marty and the kid on the same team. Yeah. And then here we are again. They're against each other here in 95, and Jannetty actually blows out his knee in his final match uh, during this run here with the WWF at the Survivor Series 96, actually blows his knee out during the opening match there. So that's unfortunate that he's basically out the door uh, in a year's time from here. But here's Louis Spicoli getting a push. And I would have never knew when, when Rad Radford made his debut that this was Louis Spicoli. It, it took an aftermag to uh, make <laughs> me realize that because I'd only seen Louis Spicoli up until this point as a job guy in the late 80s, early 90s WWF, and then as the Madonna's boyfriend character at the AAA pay-per-view for the WCW when worlds collide. So other than that, I really hadn't seen Louis Spicoli beef up here. Like He's a big boy. Oh, yeah. He was always relatively large for a jobber, but yeah, he's put on some weight. Looks pretty good. 
Um, he fit that 95 grunge look that, that he's going for here. And uh, he, he did it pretty well. Yeah, Louis that grunge look was... Guy too. Yeah, the grunge look was great. Uh, you know, it's a big deal here in the mid-90s, but I don't know that Louis really embraced it all that well. Or yeah, he knew, so knew, knew a whole lot about it, I guess is what, what I should say. Isn't he, it. isn't he from that area? Around that he's area? He's from California. Is he a California, California guy? Yeah. So Still West Coast, but yeah, not quite Seattle. I was so bummed. I don't know if you remember when we talked on our uh, episode of Money Warfare about the debut of Avatar. I really loved the character, and I loved Al Snow from Smoky Mountain, so... I was so pissed when they announced Avatar as being uh, part of this match, and then all of a sudden Bob Holly comes out, who had been jobber extraordinaire on W. And I'm not trying to knock Bob Holly; as he's perfectly capable of having a decent, you know, uh, match here as part of the Survivor Series. But I was just bummed because where did the Avatar go? Damn it! I only saw him the one time, and now he's gone. So I was a little, a little upset that Bob Holly replaced Avatar. Yeah, Avatar. I, I like the gimmick. I, nice I thought it was a good buster. idea. It, it, yeah, definitely nice spine buster. It's just unfortunate. Too many spoofs and mess, miss spots and things like that due to the oil from the Battle Royal and things like that. So um, you only get one first impression, and he kind of blew his. It looked like, and it's not necessarily his fault, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles. And here we are. You got Bob Holly in there. Kid working over Hakushi in the corner. So the kid's yeah, fresh off of the heel turn. I think he's, what, like six days old heel turn? Mm-hmm. They had a really good match at SummerSlam, him and Hakushi. Yeah, these 95 pay-per-views make excellent complimentary pieces to the Monday Warfare show. If you guys don't already listen to it, do yourself a favor. Go check it out. We've been having a lot of fun running through the Monday Night War. It's uh, opened up a whole new set of eyes for me. And uh, this is pretty cool because we get to see a culmination of a lot of these guys that don't really necessarily make Raw. And now, now we're getting to see him here as part of the Survivor yeah. Series. Got to watch those superstars to check out these guys. But uh, like, like we said, man, when you see these guys in the ring, you just know it's going to be a very fast-paced, entertaining match. And this is what the WWF did back then. They always had a hot, fast match. Um, just look at the openers like the Royal Rumbles. You know, you got the Orients and the Rockers. You just want a fast-paced match that is going to be different than most of the card. Um Outside of this one, this one's kind of unique in the sense that you get really two fast-paced matches back-to-back that you didn't really get very often. Right. I should note real quick here while Tom Pritchard's working over Bob Holly, we had a dark match here on this particular pay-per-view that involved the public enemy from ECW at this point in time. They were getting their tryout with the WWF, both Pritchard going up for the moonsault. Misses the moonsault. That might be it for Dr. Tom. If Bob Holly can make the tag or capitalize with something of his own here. Oh, he's going up top. Might be time for the uh, cross-body block. Bob Holly, start your engines! Uh, Oh, there it is. One, two, three. Dr. Tom, first guy gone in the Survivor Series. Skip. Didn't even have to to hook the tights. And Bob Holly, thanks for coming. We got you on the pay-per-view. You got a pay-per-view payday. Stick with us (laughs) for another 10 years or or so. Love that move. I've yeah. always, I always love that move. Hakushi was so fluid, man. Just what a, what a talk about dropping the ball. And this is just a Vince thing, maybe even a Bruce Pritchard thing. They just don't know how to book guys like this. When they, they, we've seen with Great Muda, they book themselves. Just let them go out there and do what they can do, and just work an angle around it. They don't necessarily have 
to have uh they don't need a gimmick right Just right let it be them he he's so unique and looks so different and His how silly to be different you know how silly to turn him babyface and americanize him as if uh, a japanese wrestler has to be americanized to be a babyface it's such a silly thought here in 2020 but that was I don't even know if that was America in 1995, but that was Vince McMahon in 95. It might be Vince McMahon right now. I, I don't really know. Nice move there from Candido. He looks like he hit his own head on the way down and boom. <laughs> uh, Chris is awesome. Yeah. So I, should mention, I should mention we're oh. at the old Cap Center here, the, uh, now named the U.S. Air Arena by this point in Landover, Maryland. I think they drew something like 14,500 fans no surprise a sellout with all of these guys on the same card. Oh yeah, this this card is kind of loaded for '95 anyway. I mean, the roster was thin, but that that wild card match, and then you got the dark side match names now. Like, well, holy cow! Like just looking at some of the names, but um, yeah, very. This is a very fun, underrated show. Like I've said, handspring elbow. Hakushi running fast and furious right now on the kid. And yeah, the, the kids... I loved Hakushi, man. I loved him when I was a kid. He just stood out. Like you said, they, they booked themselves. They, they're so damn talented. They're unique. Their moves are different. Everything's different about them. Just let them go out there and be themselves, and they're going to get over. And you can't tell me he wasn't over. The, the feud he had with Brett and then his good matches he had with the kid at SummerSlam and things like that, it's just... You had to turn him face and Americanize him, and that completely cut his, you know, cut his legs out from under him, and it, it's unfortunate. Well, not only that, they just made him completely incapable. He went from working with guys like Bret Hart to doing jobs and getting stuck in silly matches, and it was like he just—it was, boom, kick to the back of the head. Didn't see that coming, and Rad Radford going to steal this pin, no doubt. Lights. <laughs> You know, while I remember, I should go back to what I was mentioning before Public Enemy. Both WCW and the WWF were making a play on the the team at the same time. They were really hot in the after mags. I, I, I know I spoke with you before on an episode of Money Warfare about how hot Sabu was in 93, 94, certainly 95, because of simply the after mags and how much he was put over. Public Enemy, if Sabu was number one, Public Enemy were number two. Had you never seen them, you would have thought they were... the the greatest tag team in the in the United States at this point. Better than what you were watching on Raw and Nitro, which really isn't hard to do in some instances. But uh, <laughs> So here they are getting their tryout match in a match against the Smoking Guns on the, on the, uh, in the dark match of the pay-per-view. So yes, the Smoking Guns, the newly crowned WWF tag team champions, have they won the belt yet, or are we not at that stage yet? No, they haven't uh, won them yet. We're not at the pay-per-view yet, or the, the, the Raw where they win them. So, sorry, uh, spoiler, folks. The Guns will get the belts back here fairly, fairly shortly from uh, Yoko and Owen. But at this point, I guess uh, they're just working two-on-two tag team match. But they get the win, I guess, in what was described as a, a workout-type match, the Guns over the Public Enemy. Of course, the Public Enemy would ultimately join WCW uh, near the beginning of 1996. Did they have the choice? Uh, they could have went either one, right? I think Bischoff just offered more money. It could have been about the money. I could also see Vince not understanding their style. Uh, I don't really know without going into the the old observers or you know doing a little digging. I mean, it, it very well could have been both. I'm sure, if nothing else, Vince would have liked to have signed them just to make sure WCW didn't at this point with the whole Monday Night War situation going on. 
So I'm sure the door was there for both of them. And I have no doubt they were offered more money over on the Turner side of things. Oh, absolutely. The problem with, I don't want to get too far off here, but the problem with the public enemy is they look good in ECW because they're working a certain style in ECW and they got the freedom to cut some really, very, really, really entertaining promos and sell a story. And that's what made them good. It wasn't the entering work at all. So they just didn't, I don't think they fit in either company, to be honest with you. They were kind of just, they were terrible in WCW. And well, I don't, I don't worse than the WWF. In, <laughs> I don't see how they would have fit in here at all. No, there wouldn't have been table, tables would not have been getting broken every week. That's for sure. Oh, homage to uh, Mr. Perfect. Do you think Spicoli did that on purpose? That rolling neck snap oh. there. And he points out, uh, and I say that, it just as I say that, he points right out to Mr. Perfect at ringside on commentary. How many th- times do you think Spicoli took that move back in the old job guy days? <laughs> Hundreds. <laughs> Hundreds. <laughs> and it's really funny how the, the company, the business had changed. Look at who we have in the ring right now, Steve. Barry Horowitz and Louis Spicoli, both perennial jobbers for years in the WWF, have now made it to the big time, made it to the pay-per-view. Who would have thunk it just a few years earlier? And Spicoli with terrible, ter- terrible push-ups. And Barry Horowitz, that three-quarter Nelson hook, two, three, Radford is eliminated. I always like that pinning combination there by Horowitz. It's so, it's different. And it looks yeah, it's cool. amateur. Yeah, it's amateur roll, uh, the three-quarter Nelson roll. Yeah, it's uh, very good. I-, I loved it. That's how he beat Skip, right? That- the first time he beat Skip. Yeah, I think so, too, yeah. Only only Candido could turn around and make Barry Horowitz look like he's towering over him. <laughs> I, th- I think that's one of the things, obviously, that hindered Skip here in the WWF, just the height alone, because it sure wasn't yeah. his work rate. No, absolutely not. The guy is, again, another one of those guys that are underrated, and... um Everybody that talks about him, I know Shane Douglas raves about him, and that's probably he's probably a little biased uh, due to how much he worked with him and things like that. But other people that I've heard talk about Blind him said that there's hardly very many people better than him, and uh, he's just so talented, man. Here we go. One, two, three. Horowitz missed that blind tag to the kid, took a shot in the back, and a Hulk Hogan leg drop from the one, two, three kid. And that <laughs> that wipes out. Barry Horowitz, the leader of the underdog. You know, when they gave this th- these team names here, I can't begin to tell you how pissed off I was that Marty Jannetty was lumped into a team called the Underdogs. I, I just didn't <laughs> visually see Marty Jannetty or Hakushi for that fact. It really upset me about both of them. But I just I felt like the name was uh, very disrespectful to some of the guys on the actual tag team or the, on the team. I, I wish they would have come up with something a little better than that. Yeah, I, I can see it. It's just coming in like they, none of them really have a push going on. It's something there. Like, you know, Horowitz had his thing, but it wasn't a lot. And these other guys, like outside of I me, mean, I guess the kid, uh, thankfully the kid got added instead of Lafitte. Or if not, I mean, you'd really have nobody <laughs> on either team that was relatively doing it, doing anything. And, um, the kid definitely added some much needed star power and oomph to this match based off of a, and the only reason that's the case is because he just turned a week ago. So you was interested to see him. Yeah, and it was, was it was nice that they were able to, to change. I'm very shocked that they didn't work him into the Shane Douglas spot on the wild card match just because they hate Shane Douglas so much here. <laughs> yeah, but, you're uh, probably not. You're not wrong. 
With Lafitte out uh, with a legit injury, though, I guess it made sense and it worked perfectly. And it was actually the perfect match, too. There's enough guys on the opposing team to where it was believable that the kid could take these guys out. Because if you're watching and paying attention, he's responsible for Hakushi's elimination. We saw him just beat Barry Horowitz there. I know there's a yeah. great spot coming up here with Marty Jannetty and Candido off the top rope that it was certainly the first time I had ever seen something like that. Blew my mind. I was like, what are these guys doing? I don't want to give away too much for it. We get the rocker dropper coming up, and Candido takes it properly, so no, he doesn't break his neck. Ah, uh-uh, no Chuck Austin here tonight. <laughs> Marty might be going for the uh, flying fist drop here. How's that not a DQ there? Oh, it was an accident. She was getting down. Uh-huh. Sonny right crotches Marty tonight. It's not the first crotch Sonny's played with, I'm sure. It's not the last either. No, Marty and Candido on the top. Watch this move, everyone. Talk about dangerous. God bless Candido. Taking that powerbomb halfway across the ring, literally halfway across the ring. And and see what happened back in those days? Things like that were finishes, ladies and gentlemen. How do you come back from that? that? You don't. What is that? A finish? (laughs) A big move followed by a, a pinfall? Right. What's funny is Candido took that move and turned it into the blonde bombshell, and that was his finisher. Boom, big leg drop off the top from the kid. And uh, very ironic, it comes down to Marty versus the kid here. They're former WWF tag team champions, if only for a week. They, they were a tag team in the WWF at one point. Oh, yeah. The crazy part about it, man, is no matter how many times they did it, they kind of did this... It didn't have as much effect as it did to the kid and Marty when they won the belts from the Quebecers and almost messed up the Royal Rumble match. But um, And then they did it again the next year with Bob Holly and the kids. So it, they did that very, quite a few times. And it, it, each time I kind of popped for it because it's so, it's so cool to see the, the underdog, so to speak, get that chance and they take advantage of it. Like it, it really did sell the fact that anything could happen. And I think that's what was so cool about Raw. And these pay-per-views oh. back in the day, like, you really had no clue what you was going to see. I mean, you have a pretty good idea who's going to win in certain matches. Right. But they did their best to really give you a little bit of everything and kind of surprise you on each show. And um, that's missing in today's world. Yeah, this has been a very entertaining match. Very hot, fast-paced match. Great way to kick off the show. And... Like you oh, said, it's yeah. really, it's really, you really wouldn't know, expect something like this coming out of a 1995 pay per view. I feel like the, the, there was a little window there near the end of 95, beginning of 96, where the WWF had hope. Uh, there, it felt like everything was turning around to some degree, and then it kind of goes back, tapers back off a little uh, during some of 1996 before eventually hitting that boom period uh, later on in 97. But I, I, I found this pay-per-view fun, and this I haven't watched this pay-per-view probably in over 20 years. I still remember it <laughs> just, just plain as day, and uh, I'm, I'm entertained. Here we got Sid coming out, and that's the new uh, buddy of the 123 kid. Remember, the kid helped Sid beat Razor, and now wherever Sid goes, the kid goes. Wherever the kid goes, Sid certainly goes, as you can see here. Marty Gennetti yeah, I was just gonna say, man, what a presence it has! What a presence! It's, it's a great awesome story, though. It's it's a great story too. You have a giant monster uh, backing up a you know 150 pound 
kid. I mean, he's not a kid, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, he's a kid. And it's just, what a combination. It's a perfect contrast, but it meshes well together. It's funny to, you know, basically the kid's going to get some wins and get some help from the Sid. And another rocker dropper, that's two guys who took the move properly tonight. Good for them, man. They know how to do a move. (laughs) And it took Ted DiBiase a very long time, but it looks like he's finally starting to put together a real million-dollar corporation with real talented guys that can have real matches. As uh, Kama seems to be on the way out, King Kong Bundy uh, may may already be gone, I believe. Well, DiBiase distracts the ref. Janetti dropped across the top rope, thanks to Sid, and the kid makes the cover. The kid, two, three, gets the win. Match goes 18 minutes, 45 seconds, and the one, two, three kid is your winner, thanks in part to Psycho Sid here. And I wonder how Razor Ramon feels about this. I think we're going to get a look at how he feels about that, and they're going to cut cut to the locker room here in a little bit. Yeah, this was cool, too, because it, it was really, really different to see a reaction of a wrestler to what happened. And uh, he beats the hell out of a – he breaks a um, – video monitor here and what's funny is if you look at the people with them it's the the bsk here and i never it's you know the undertaker's farewell and i know we'll get to it later but the team never made sense to me undertaker's team and now after the farewell farewell and knowing more about undertaker and everything he just picked his boys and uh put them on the squad (laughs) so yeah, uh, I mean, I never them. really thought about it, honestly, till you just brought that up. I, 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 there have been so many Survivor Series teams that didn't make any sense. I mean, I go back to 93, you have the model on the same team as Diesel and uh, Adam Bomb. I mean, there's been a lot of weird-looking teams, so I never really wondered why such-and-such such was on such-and-such such team. That's just the seemed to be the way it goes. But yeah, that, I mean, I really never put two and two together before when I watched that match. So, And there's Razor in the back, you, you pointed out already. Throws the monitor. He's pissed off. And this is probably the first time we've ever seen a reaction from a wrestler in the backstage area based on the outcome of something going on in the ring. That he had no part of, really. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Well, he's upset that the kid survived. How dare he? So (laughs) the kid makes a fool of Razor Ramon on Raw, and he turns around and survives the Survivor Series, a pay-per-view he wasn't even a part of. Until about 30 minutes ago. Who doesn't belong here? <laughs> well, we got Todd Petting Zoo back here. He's with uh, Jim Cornette and company, Camp Cornette, along with uh, Dean Douglas over there. This is part of the wild card team. These guys will be teaming with Razor Ramon later on tonight. So that's why Razor's that's not in. Promo. What's that? This is a pretty good promo by Cornette here. Well, we'll take a listen then. I, I don't really don't remember it. Now that you're ready for a rubble room at the Puzzle Factory, I don't know what's going to happen, but you know what they say. If you can't get along, we're going to get it on. You know what, Razor Ramon, you better get serious. Quit fooling around, worrying about the one, two, three kid. You got a commitment with three other guys, Dean Douglas, Yokozuna, and myself, and get serious because we're coming up to fight right away. 
Todd Pettengill, the way it seems to me in my infinite wisdom is that the team is standing here united, ready to take on four of the toughest superstars in the World Wrestling Federation, but minus one competitor, one gladiator on this side, Razor Ramon. Get your head on straight. Get away from the monitor. We got a match to take care of. Wild card match getting wilder by the second, Vince. Let's get back to you and Brigside. All right, thank you very much, Tom. Well, if nothing else, I got to hear Bertha Faye's music in the background, so that was still pretty awesome any way you want to look at it. He picked up Cornette, right, when he was talking about he needs to go to the puzzle room at a, or the rubber room at a puzzle factor. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Let's do the timestamp real quick here while we wait for the uh, babyface team to make their way out for this uh, eight-woman tag team match. We're at 29, 15, 16, 17, 18. And Alundra Blaze, I always hated this uh, intro, the, this pyro, very cheap. <laughs> Sparklers, Blaze. And they have to wait for it. It's not even up in the sky, so they have to wait for it. Are, are they going to raise it ever? Are we waiting for it to, to die out here before they enter? Here we go. So it's basically Bertha Faye with three members of the Japanese women wrestling clan taking on Alundra Blaze with three of the same. It's Aja Kong, Linus Asuka, and Tomoko Watanabe teaming with Bertha Faye. And then on the other side, uh, Alundra Blaze brings out the Beautiful, small Chaparita Sari. She's going to bust out that Sky Twister press during this match. Kyoko Nue is the uh, lady in the tassels there. And then who? Uh, I think we got Hasegawa is out there too, I, I believe. So eight-woman tag team match. And this one goes pretty fast, so we got to kind of pay attention to this one. Uh, I, I, I encourage anyone doing the watch-along to not take their eyes off this match. Lots of great talent out here. The Japanese ladies wrestlers are far, far, far above and beyond where the American lady wrestlers were in the 90s and maybe even today. Oh, well, yeah, that's a given. This is, they get grown into this. I mean, they, they, what, 14, 13, 14 years old, they start doing this and it's their livelihoods. And I'd never seen these women before. I don't think I've ever seen them again outside of spots here and there. And I'm still entertained by this match. It's so crazy how talented these women are. Yeah, and he really thought, based on this match, that we were going to keep these girls around. They just brought them, brought them in out of nowhere. Uh, randomly decided to put this match together because Alundra really wasn't being featured very much on TV. She lost the belt. Oh, what a spin kick oh. to Sari's face. Just took her face off. <laughs> that spin, spin kick. And here we go, the old giant swing. Rechristen the Cesaro swing now. It's like they got told you got you got ten minutes. Go out there and <laughs> do your thing, and they just come out guns blazing. Yeah, it should, it, no, it should be no, it should be noted noted that the, these girls are not used to going one minute, two minutes, ten minutes. These girls can really go. So um, you see sometimes in some of these finishes, they're not really sure if it's the finish. They they kind of kick out when they're not supposed to, maybe or. She sits out there on a lunger. She's not. She's not having it. She's not going to take, take whatever lunger was dishing out there. I don't know what she called, but she said, "Nah." Oh, so awesome! Kicked her right in the face. Lundra. Linus Asuka all over a lunger blaze here. Misses the oh, here we go. Looks like a German. Yep, there we go. One, 
two, three in our first elimination already. Thanks for coming all the way from Japan for your one minute and 90 seconds of, <laughs> of uh, wrestling action there. Welcome. See ya. <laughs> she tries the moonsault. Alundra's already back up and out of the way, and Alundra going to take a dive to the floor. You didn't see this back then. The women jumping off the top rope to the floor back then. So good shit from Medusa. Yeah, absolutely. She's stepping up her game here. She knows she has to or she's going to stick out. I mean, Bertha Faye is there, but she knows she's going to have to step it up to fit in a little bit. And um, There's that Sky Twister press shown again. The camera, camera, the original camera angle doesn't really cover it so well. They really built that move up, so it was just kind of a throwaway here as she actually hits it. Very impressive move by the young lady. But they built it up. I think it was on the action zone in the uh, Ross report or something. Jim Ross, they actually show a clip of Asari doing that, if I remember correctly, all the way back. Boom. Flying butt drop. Earthquake would be proud of that one. So they, they built it up like, watch out for the Sky Twister press. So a little bit of story there by Jim Ross. Even, oh, another flying ass bomb. Straight off the top. Bombs away. Boom. And see, there's where I'm talking about. It looks like she kicks out, but no. Oh, maybe she did. I, I'm not sure. I don't know if the referee knows. Oh, here Thanks we go. Over here. Yeah, this, <laughs> there's no coming back. Asha Kong's in the ring. She's going to lay waste to some <laughs> some opponents here. I think this is when uh, Perfect's going in on Asha Kong. <laughs> yeah, I think that's called Sorry Honey, I Won't Do It Again or I Won't Stay Out Late Again. Nice, oh. nice head and arm suplex. Very awesome. Beautiful suplex there, yeah. Asegawa yeah. really, really looking good here. I'm just afraid that the end result's not going to matter <laughs> for Asegawa. And I, I will say, like I said, I, I never watched these girls before, but when Ross sells the hell out of that spinning backhand that Aja Kong does, and by the time it was over, man, I was believing it. I'm like, holy hell, that thing kills you, knocks you out. And, yeah, uh, and I was Aja Kong with her, with her own Saido suplex there, too, three. And all of this is hilarious. Poor <laughs> Sari in there, just a mismatch. Boom, bounces off Azure Khan. <laughs> Great, Great spot, spot there. Azure really knows how to play up the American crowd, too. Oh, yeah. She's she's good. And back then, I wasn't really liking bad guys or heels and things, but I was impressed by her. And I was I was looking forward to Alondra Blaze's Azure Kong match. I, I thought that would have been really good. Big time Splash there. Splash does it for Asari, and she's out of here. That leaves, uh, what are we, three on two now? Yeah, we yeah. got uh, Alundra yep. Blaze left over there with Kyoko Inoue, one of the uh, big timers of the 90s. And the Japanese lady. Tire, man. Yeah, she's like a warrior, man. She's like the, the ultimate warrior of, of Japan. Only, only she can a... work. She can actually wrestle, though. So, What was that tag team in WCW? Uh... The, the Indians. I can't remember their name. The Renegade they Warriors? Had, yeah, the Renegade Warriors. Those oh. guys, they had real flashy attire like that, too. See, that was the elimination I don't think was supposed to be the actual elimination. It looks like uh, Aja Kong drops down on her with a butt drop there, and the referee counts three, but Kyoko Nui completely kicks out, and uh, you even see Aja Kong kind of try to scoot off of her as she's kicking out. The referee calls it three, though. And everybody, including uh, Medusa there, and the look on her face, everybody looks confused, like, uh-oh, that wasn't, that wasn't supposed to happen. It seems like they were setting up for an another move before we got, got the elimination, but it's down to three on two here. Alundra Blaze is going to have to take on all three women. Former WWF Women's Champion Bertha Faye 
<laughs> and then Aja Kong and Tomoko Watanabe. She's going to do her best. Come on, referee. Do your job. What is this, AEW? Get some of these people back to the apron. Come on, Mike Kyoto. Do your job, man. That that spot right there always cracked me up. Bertha Faye snapmares Alundra Blaze, and Alundra Blaze rolls through the snapmare, lands on her feet, <laughs> and goes and grabs Watanabe instead. She's like, uh, no, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So she completely no-sells the snapmare, and just a uh, very, very good professional is Alundra Blaze here. She uh, goes for a pile driver, and I think this is actually the finish for Watanabe, if I remember correctly. So really weird. The whole thing, just uh, another confusing spot. I thought, but yeah, that, I think that's yeah. the end. The old Jerry Lawler pile driver gets it done for Medusa and it's down to two on one. Medusa was awesome, man here. Like right now, like she's, she's really good here. And, uh, well, you know, she's only been fed what she's been fed here. I mean, she, the only person I think she's worked in the entire 1995 has been Bertha Faye ever since what? Ever, ever since Bertha's been there. Yeah. It's just unfortunate that she came along in a time where she put a lot of effort into getting better and honing her skills, and there's nothing there. Like, she, really, the only place she can go is Japan. Watch this. And uh, Wow. One, two, three, and that. And look at Bertha Nocell. Just sit up and roll out and say, what the hell happened? And she's done. Bye-bye. And even though we, we've seen her chase Harvey Whippleman away, uh, he's still out there with Bertha. Uh, but no more. That is actually the end of Bertha Faye in the WWF. That's her last night with the company. Yeah, we won't see her again, I don't believe. Uh, just a few random spots here and there on, on WCW. And then she's there during the Russo era where he really just disgusted me with the way he treated her on TV. Bertha Faye? I don't even remember her being on there with Russo. Yeah, the... Um, I wouldn't remember it either if it wasn't something I happened to go over here in the last year or two. Misses that spinning backhand you were talking about, so Lundra escapes it there. But Aja's looking yeah. for it, and she'll hit it before it's over. Yeah, and <laughs> JR, like, he's really selling it throughout the match on commentary that you got to look out for the backhand. You got to look out for the backhand. And yeah. so you, you're waiting for it. You're waiting for it. And then he nails Medusa. She nails Medusa with it. And uh, she's the women's champion and she's gone. Like, she's out. I'm like, holy. That is deadly. Yeah. Nice dropkick there from Alundra Blaze. The, the Ross report was, uh, it's very underrated uh, in regards to things like this. The old Ross report show on the. Sunday morning program, the action zone, because I, I haven't seen it since it actually aired, but look how long it stuck with me 25 years ago. And I remember him putting over the spinning back fist, watch out for the spinning back fist, watch for Chaparita. Sorry. Uh, Sky twister press. These were things I watched for when the match came and lo and behold, there they were. So there was backstory. If you watch that Sunday morning TV program, Jim Ross built this matchup. He told a story where there was really no story to tell. So just it was yeah. a very cool complimentary piece to this match. If you watched it, it, it made a lot of sense. If you didn't watch it, you just saw some cool moves. No, either way, pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. JR really, like we mentioned earlier, he saved this match. <laughs> and I think Meltzer even commented that Vince really got exposed during this one. But he, he, he was quiet enough to let Jim Ross do the talking and then Perfect did the jokes. Oh. 
And, you know, Vince did his what a maneuver type deal. And so they definitely, they did their part in this match. And again, I, like I said, I was, I was just waiting for that backhand. <laughs> I couldn't wait to see it. Here it comes. Once she even counts it down, one, two, three, boom. Looks like boom. she breaks her nose, man. Two, three, you better believe it's over. Aja Kong gets the win in 10 minutes and one second. A very fun match. I bet these girls, had they been given real time, I'm talking 20 minutes, 30 minutes, they would have put on an insane match. Nothing wrong with what we saw here, just a highlight of some of the moves that they do, but I bet they could have beaten the living hell out of each other and really gave us a show if they'd been given, even say as long as the underdogs match, what was it, 18, 19 minutes, so. But I get it, it's the ladies, it's 1995, and six of the women we'd never even seen before, the other two we see once every three, four months. So I'm yeah. surprised this even made the pay-per-view cut. Very weird. It's probably just because of how thin their roster is overall. Uh, I don't know if you could fit eight more guys on this show, to be honest with you. And here we go again. Another look at that. Oh, right across the side of the jaw. Oh. Very cool. Very cool. Great sell job, too. I don't think she had an option. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, she's doing, she's holding her ribs. So I'm, we cut to the imposter Bill Clinton in the crowd. Kind of a fun spot here as Bam Bam comes out, as Pyro goes out, big boom in the ring, and, and Secret Service covers the uh, quote unquote president. It's, it's really, oh my God, cringeworthy. But at the same time, I, it's, it's somewhat comical. Where's Jack Victory at when you need him? Yeah, Secret Service out there. No Jack Victory. I, he might have been uh, unavailable for this because they couldn't get the president and Jack Victory's ass into the same camera shot. <laughs> You're not wrong, man. Uh, Jack Jack Victory had been too obvious that it was a but, gimmick. But I tell you what, and here we go. I think we're going to get the pyro here in a second, and they cut back to the president with the here. Let's let's take a look. It's ridiculous. Well, square off against it. Oh. Is he all right? Ah, please. You all right? Are you all right? Look at Secret Service there on the left. Secret Service Bruce Pritchard there on the left, it looked like to me. Unbelievable. (laughs) Vince no selling it. (laughs) Get him down. Get him down. Oh, come on. What was that shit? You know, I want to talk about those the, the, the ladies for a minute, too. Because there's a narrative out there, you know, Alundra leaving the WWF, dropping the belt in the garbage can on Nitro and all those things. She wasn't even contract. She, she didn't, just like Luger. Luger had no contract when he jumped. Alundra had no contract for a completely different reason. Vince wasn't going to give her one. They were budget cutting. They really had nothing for her. They didn't really see anything in the women's division. It was pretty much done. And that's the part of the story that's always left out when people tell that, that story. She goes over to Nitro. She didn't even want to do the belt gimmick, but she did it anyway because she wanted the job. But I can't even necessarily blame her because here she is in the middle of a push and you just cut her, cut ties with her. Ah, we're not renewing your contract. You can go. But, but I have no other job. Well, you know, tough shit. And there's no more women's division. It looks here on Survivor Series like we're building a whole brand new women's division. And instead, really, they're, they're really just in for the week. They go do a, a raw taping. Uh, after this Survivor Series here, and that's it for all of the ladies. So when it looked like Aja Kong was going to be the next one in line to do the the feud with Alundra Blaze, we, we don't get that at all. Obviously, she leaves, but we weren't going to get it anyway. And I, I felt like necessary to point that out. 
Yeah, and I also have seen it's extremely difficult to get your hands on it and actually get it. But this is a Royal Rumble 96 program. It's one of those oversized ones. And inside, I don't know if it's inside that program or if it's inside one of these magazines that I have from 96 that they do like a rundown of the card for Royal Rumble 96 and Alundra Blaze and Aja Kong is announced. It's a match that they were going to have at Royal Rumble. That's what and I always loved sports. about the WWF magazines from those those that era, from the 80s and early 90s, even the mid-90s here before they had to start hot shot booking and things to keep keep up with WCW, was Bruce Pritchard's mentioned this many a times. In order for a magazine to be published on time, they had to, it's not now, you know, you can't just pump out a magazine overnight, throw together some pictures, type some shit up, print it out, and there you go, there's your magazine. These things took months back then, which is why pay-per-view matches were planned months in advance. In fact, I remember the Survivor Series 90 the original, the magazine with all the, the the original teams and things like that in it. The, the original pictures were taken prior to SummerSlam '90, which is why they had to go in and switch some guys out and Photoshop some things and do all these nonsensical horseshit things on that. Why it looks so weird? But there's been so many magazines over those years where they promote matches that wind up not happening on the pay per views. I remember the original WrestleMania eight card was very different than what it wound up being, at least the undercard anyway. Yeah, and I know for a fact, like, and just looking at it, like, I, you're talking the December 90 magazine with, with Tornado on the cover. So, like, they, yes. they, they came out like a month, they came out like a month early. So, like, if you was a, if you subscribed, you got your, like, December magazine in November, and, and so to speak. So, um, you got them a little bit ahead of time. So, you, you was able to see it and review it. But, like, the re- results for, Survivor Series was always in the February magazine, and WrestleMania results was in June, and then SummerSlam, I think, was in October or November, one of those two. Right. It was always like a three-month window there. Yeah, so it definitely took a lot of time, effort, and energy to make put put those magazines out, and so you do get some little gems in there. I know, like, uh, I think it's January 93 with Nails and Undertaker on the cover where they shot that angle, and then Nels goes and chokes out Vince or whatever the case may be and gets fired. So they teased it in the magazine and looked, made it appear like that was what's going to happen. And I also know um, Brett and Hulk Hogan for SummerSlam. Yeah, was that was kind of teased. That was what Hogan, well, that's what Hogan had promised before he decided to just go back on his word as he's done so many times, brother, brother. In fact, here in November of 95, remember we were discussing, we did the watch long for World War Three. If you guys already clearly already have the all access tier, you can go find the World War Three watch along that we did as well. And it was in it was at the beginning of the Battle Royal, not before the pay per view, not before they went out, but actually after the Battle Royal starts, that Hogan goes over to a referee, goes over to the giant, alerts the people that need to know that, yeah, I'm not going out anymore, brother. I'm going to go out under the ropes. So Hogan called that audible after the match started. This is. Classic Hulk Hogan, you know, he, he promised if they gave him the belt when he came back that he'd drop it to Brett at SummerSlam. And then he decided, nah, brother, I, I'm not going to do that. But he did agree to drop it to the big monster Yokozuna at King of the Ring, uh, as long as there was the bells and whistles with the fireball that to this day still really hasn't been explained. But it didn't really have to be explained. It's just a way to get Hogan on, the belt off Hogan. Couldn't do the job clean, brother, on the way out. Nah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> and Goldust has been in the company now, at least on TV wrestling, 
completely with that uppercut that Bammer sells anyway. Uh, he's been with the company about a month now. He hasn't gotten the uh, different gold suit. This one was uh, really creepy looking. You could really make things out in this particular outfit. Not that I'm trying, but it's just, it's there. It's there. Yeah, it's definitely there. Uh, this is, uh, I think. I, I was, oh, go on, man. I was just going to say, man, I was, uh, so at this time I was nine years old. And uh, I was thrown off by Goldust. I didn't know what to think. I was like, what the heck is this guy? Like, what is he doing? And uh, he definitely makes you uncomfortable a little bit, uh, especially, I mean, if you're if you're older, you, you probably get it. It's just a gimmick or whatever. But nine-year-old me is just thinking, man, what in the world is this guy doing? And he had, some, for some reason, like, I don't know, it's weird with Goldust. He has some really good moments, some really good, matches and things that i enjoy and are entertained by and then he just does stuff that's completely ridiculous like i can't stand his run with luna it's so over the top ridiculous that it's it's just a shame that dustin Rhodes had to lower himself to some of that stuff but um what what a gimmick (laughs) that's really all you could say what a gimmick and I don't remember this match being a whole lot of good. In fact, a lot of Goldust's early stuff, I don't think it was Dustin's fault. It just wasn't really clicking. The The match with Marty was not very good at all. It was pretty bad, in fact. The next night, uh, the second match against Savio Vega on Raw, that was a, a step up. But you remember the finish where he kicked Savio in the arm? <laughs> and then, and then yeah. what, what, did he pin him? I, or no, he hooked him in a hammerlock and pinned him. It, it was... I think he was still trying to find the gimmick himself because he's quoting movies, but then, you know, he, he's bizarre and androgynous, as Vince loved to say. So I, I don't know. And I don't remember this match being very good either. And if I remember correctly, this is Bam Bam's last night with the company, or at least to my recollection, it is anyway. He's on his way out. As are so many people because of the click, Adam Bombs just left, the Blue Twins, uh, Ron and Don Harris, they, they've, they've recently left. Jean-Pierre Lafitte, I don't believe he even returns from this hernia surgery. He's had issues with the click in recent weeks. Uh, just a, a bad time in the, in the company uh, backstage. Not just financially, but when you have a group of people running roughshod over the locker room and, and trying to make the call of who should go and who should stay, who should be pushed, instead of just worrying about themselves. You know, that's one good thing you can say about guys like Hogan. Now, they were so worried about themselves, they didn't have time to worry about the Rockers or the Hart Foundation or what Jake the Snake's doing with Ted DiBiase over here, brother. They're just, that's why we got all these. He understood, I need all these guys on the undercard. I need somebody to work. Whereas the Click just wanted to work yeah. one another. Yeah, absolutely. For all of Hogan's faults, he, he's willing to keep people around if you make money with him or, or if he thinks he can make money with them. He, he doesn't care who it is. He just wants to make money. And uh, everybody says they they looked at the lineup sheet and was praying they was on Hogan's card because that meant more money. Oh yeah. So you don't hear that about very many people because one, not many people drew like he did. Uh, but and obviously it's a different business as the years gone on. But you, you never hear that about uh, the Click or even Bret Hart or, or guys like that. It's just he just drew so much money and you wanted to be a part of it just because you was gonna get paid too. And uh, uh, for all the faults that Hogan has, and we can have a whole podcast that's three hours long talking about his faults, um, it seems like if he made money with you, he wanted you around, and that's all that mattered to him. Or if he was going to protect him, he'd keep you around. He may not job to you, 
but he'll keep you around because he knows he he trusts you and he can keep you, he can make money with you or at least try to. And I think the the big issue. I think the big issue with that too is a lot of these guys that were main draws they didn't have clicks they were just themselves, so they yeah, needed those exactly. guys. Where's the click? They can work one another. So why do we need any? Let's just have a click show every week. We we've seen that with some of the two hour in your house programs because. There's only enough room for all of them on the show from open to close, and that's pretty much all we get in some instances here. Got a little crazy at one point with uh, them basically trying to run run the roost of, well, okay, uh, Sean can't keep the belt right now, so instead of giving the belt to Dean Douglas, let's put it on Razor. Uh, but then, yeah. but then we'll, but then we'll put it on Sid. But then we won't put it on Sid. Let's change that last minute to a non-title match, which makes absolutely no sense on Raw. So just. A lot of shenanigans by the click here. I couldn't work in that environment, man. Well, a lot of these guys didn't. That's why you see this influx of talent, or not influx, but the opposite of. Exodus. The exodus yeah. here. Yeah. I just, I've worked in an environment where <laughs> it's stressful every day. You go in, you just don't know if you're going to get let go or something like that. And I can just imagine you walk into a locker room and you see these five snarking and smiling and laughing and joking and you have no idea if they're making fun of you or what they're doing or if they're <laughs> we got that dude fired he's gone after tonight shit like that like that would get old real quick and I, I guess the difference with the wrestling business compared to my job is a lot of these wrestlers can fend for themselves and take matters into their own hands kind of like we've heard with the blues brothers and i think even lafitte maybe i think he tried something i don't know but um they got fed up, and it's ridiculous that Vince would allow that to happen. I mean, he has the power to shut it down, and he didn't. He didn't, and he damn near killed the company. <laughs> One because financials were shit, and two, the morale was probably worse than the financials. And you're just losing all this talent. And you really don't have the money to buy new new talent, right? Just yet, and and now you got WWE breathing down your back. So like, it, it was it was a combination. It was a recipe for disaster that they averted by people making dumb mistakes like WCW getting rid of Austin and it took a while but they hit pay dirt with the rock obviously but man it was looking rough there for quite a while right I think he was uh, very much near bankruptcy or, or filing for bankruptcy uh, right before things took off so very very lucky and uh, Goldust works the uh Lamest chin lock of all time as he didn't even have Bigelow's chin hooked whatsoever. It was very, very obvious. And it looks like Bam Bam might be trying to make the comeback here. We might be uh, nearing the end of this match. And it just looks like Bam Bam doesn't give a shit. Well, you know, and that he goes doesn't. back to Royal Rumble 93. You remember that was, well, I think Bossman worked another match on TV. He might have taped it before the Royal Rumble. I don't remember. But that match with Bam Bam was uh, absolutely uh, atrocious. Slow, boring, and, and methodical, and Bossman didn't look, and there's the Bulldog, and that should do it. And this is kind of Bam Bam's way out, so I don't think he cares a whole lot. I think he tried enough to give Dustin some things. Dustin gets the win with his old WCW move. The Bulldog, baby, is my son, my son, Dustin. The fruit of my loins, baby. Talk about the American Dream's loins. I don't want to think about it, if you will. I don't either. <laughs> Like you, like you pointed out earlier, you're seeing enough of Dustin's loins here. <laughs> you don't need to talk about his dad's. Oh, my. So Goldust God. gets the win. He remains an enigma. 
at this point in time in the company. What is he? Who is he? I think the gimmick, he hasn't figured out how to work in the ring with the gimmick that he has. As the natural, he can just go out there and put on a wrestling match. And well, the story goes, you know, he had never, he hadn't incorporated those um, homophobic spots into the matches until he worked Savi. That, that match, was it with Savi or was it with Razor? I can't remember who it was, but somebody gave him the idea for that spot right before he went out. And he wasn't sold. He was like, I, should, I don't know if I should do that. And he goes out there and does it, and it gets such a huge response that, you know, that's pretty much <laughs> encouraged it to continue after that. Well, that, that's getting a response. we gotta, we got to keep doing that and, and maybe take it even further, obviously. And uh, there were, if you thought some of the things he did on TV were bad, I'll, I'll just put it this way. I once attended a house show where, had he done any of that on TV, the company would no longer be on TV. <laughs> Wow, glad I didn't go see Gold Dust yeah. in the house. I wish show. I could tell you. I wish I could tell you that what the match was. I really don't remember it. I remember it being a cage match. It was a tag team match. It was Gold Dust, and I think it was during that Mankind stint where he was kind of hanging out with Mankind. And I don't know who the hell they were wrestling, uh, but during their entrance, they have a. It was a very lengthy entrance. They were in the ring, and Gold Dust gets down on his back, lays on his back in the middle of the ring with the spotlight on him, and begins feeling his his junk. And rubbing up and down his body and rubbing up all over his junk and just rubbing his hands everywhere, basically having sex with himself. It was very uncomfortable. There were a lot of kids in the crowd. And I looked, I remember going there with my cousin, my female cousin, and we looked at each other like, what the fuck is going on? Like It was a whole new level that we had never experienced before. And I know everybody ups their game as far as their character at the house shows. They may not necessarily work as hard, wrestle as hard, try as much nonsense in the ring to get to get injured, but you hear more profanity. Uh, their character, they have a little more fun. They take liberties. They do some comedy, maybe. And in this instance, he he probably went just a little too far with the with the character of Goldust on this particular house show that I went to. Wow, <laughs> wow! <laughs> Glad I didn't see that, man. Yeah, Holy. it was it was his. Um, uncomfortable as as you could if you can picture it as uncomfortable as it can be that's how bad it got like i i literally we were literally looking at each other like i can't believe that he's doing this on a wrestling show <laughs> it belonged that's nowhere near nowhere near i even if it wasn't uh you know family friendly it was like this isn't what i came here to see yeah, absolutely not. Oh, my God. I, I completely forgot that Mabel pinned The Undertaker. That blew my mind when this happened. And it all stemmed from a kick from Kama. It always drove me nuts. Kama comes in and kicks The Undertaker. And then Mabel gets the win there. And he's King Mabel. And that's how we get here. Uh, they really hadn't played up the feud so much up until... Here we go. Is this the six-man tag? This was the Bill yeah. Watts book, Six Man, where Mabel and Yokozuna basically just murder... The Undertaker with like 46 leg drops to the face here. I, I, there's no way they show all of them. They don't have time. I mean, they just crush. Uh, supposedly, this is where The Undertaker suffers the crushed orbital bone. It's really not. It takes place during a house show match. But the timing made it sweet because they could use this as the reason. And you completely bought it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I never bought Mabel. I, I just thought he was terrible. I mean, he was horrendous. 
And that's what we have here. It's uh, the Royals. So Jerry, the King Lawler is teaming with King Mabel. Of course, Triple H, the aristocrat here. So he's kind of royalty of sorts. And then the, the court dentist, maybe, I guess, Dr. Isaac Yankum joins the team, of course, because he's aligned with Jerry Lawler. So I guess it all, it all ties together. It all ties together for this team. And the other team, I guess they're in the feuds with these guys. I don't know what Savio's doing. I don't know who he's feuding with on this team. But um, Taker, obviously, with Mabel, Isaac, and Lawler. Maybe they're feuding with Savio. I don't know. They're kind of just there. They're just thrown in. And then Hunter and obviously Godwin are feuding. So that makes sense. But it's kind of cool looking at it now. Uh, it's the BSK here for them. And, uh, I guess they'll always have this match, huh? Yeah, the only thing missing is Kama on the opposing team, I guess. Thankfully for that, you know. <laughs> King King Mabel makes his way. I, I used to feel bad for the jobbers that had to carry oh, him too. out to the ring. I can't imagine what that felt like on the shoulder, on the trap area. It it had to oh, have been severe pain. Oh, just every step you know you ever carry something really heavy and you keep trying to figure out how many steps or how many more how long is it going to be before i i can finally sit this down and i I, they had to been counting every step on their way to the ring like oh my god oh we're halfway we're three quarters of the way and here (laughs) here we come it's the dark side team savio vega henry o godwin that's hog because he's a hog farmer and we got fatu backing him up he's trying to make a difference right now he hasn't quite he also met has that, that PSK hat on there. <laughs> if you look at it, the initials are right there across the the forehead. Oh, sure is. Trying to make a difference, BSK style. Five two That's to the right. ring. It's time to make a change. I would have been interested to see the feud if or what they would have planned. I know they had what was it, Sammy and Silk. Uh, from ECW come out and kind of watch him a few times from a distance. Yeah, the drug dealers. Yeah, they were drug dealers. They wanted Fatu to come back and deal drugs. <laughs> Without saying it, that's basically what was going on there. Yeah, hey, man, yeah. come back to the gang. Come back to the gang, man. Yeah, it's like, no, weren't weren't these guys they're... fucking head shrinkers a few few years ago? Weren't they like tri- <laughs> tribal wild men eating like carcasses of, of animals and things? And now they're drug pushers. So amazing what America has done. <laughs> to those who who come over here, I don't I don't know, but Fatu, you know, he's trying to tell everybody to walk the straight and narrow. This is obviously before he becomes the Sultan, yeah. Which I don't even so know what they were they were thinking about that. I don't either. I, it'd be cool to see that though. I would have been interested in that. Yeah, I mean, what does that go? One or two weeks before they're just back off the WWF TV and just an ECW, yeah. the Samoan Gangsta Party. Yeah, pretty much. And this is the return of The Undertaker. We haven't seen him on TV since he suffered that fractured orbital bone, and he'll be wearing a mask. It's really a protective mask just to keep him safe here for the next little while until it gets ripped off. What is it? The Royal Rumble, maybe? Uh, it's still there at Royal Rumble. Well, and it's in a oh, match with, oh. isn't it a match with Brett, I think, is when it gets ripped off, isn't it? I, I don't remember. I'm maybe, thinking. Maybe. It, it could be, yeah. Uh... But this is Undertaker. Really we, so we haven't seen his face since the injury. So we're all going to see the mask for the very first time here. And it's going to shock the hell out of Mabel. I always <laughs> liked that. I thought it was cool. It fit the Undertaker. 
they have a box right now. I don't know if it's still available or not. They're limited editions, like 750 on the WWE shop. I don't want to plug them, but uh, it's on there. And uh, you get one of the, you get like a replica of this mask <laughs> inside it. Pretty cool. I don't remember who it was. Somebody dressed up as this version of The Undertaker, I think, for Halloween. I don't remember if it was Zelina Vega or Sasha Banks, but they they, they had the mask and everything. They were, well, their version of the mask. So, but I I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I think they all dressed up as The Undertaker uh, as a special tribute photo shoot for him, if I remember right. I I didn't look at it, but. And since The Undertaker's on his way to the ring, I guess now's a good time to do a timestamp count because it takes him forever. So we're at an hour and five minutes and three, four, five, six seconds. I didn't mean to cut you off there, Steve. I just wanted to get that in. Wow, this, you know these Undertaker intros. They're the yeah, best time to do anything. To I could I could have turned the audio on and took a piss, and nobody would have known the difference. So I'll have to remember that in the future anytime we do an Undertaker match. <laughs> yeah, the lights are coming on. Did we're going to get we're, Oh, go on, man. I'm just going to get a look here at the mask. Oh, yeah, you can go ahead and do that. I was just going to say the uh, to go back to your Mabel thing. I'm 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 a pretty tall guy, like six four, and I don't know to, to those who like to go ride roller coasters and rides like that at like Kings Island or something. The Delirium. I, I don't know if you've ever rode it, but they strap it over your shoulder, and like I said, I'm pretty tall, and, and there's like a height limit on these, and you got to snap it in a certain amount of times or you can't really write it. So uh, I was on it and it's like, it's your birthday. So I was feeling pretty good. I was feeling comfortable. It was fine. And then all of a sudden there's like uh, number 23, it's your birthday. And they come over and push this damn, that damn harness in one more time. Here we go. And it felt like uh, <laughs> <laughs> classic cell job by Mabel there, but it felt like 900 pounds just strapped to my arms and the rides like three minutes. And I'm just sitting there like, please get me off this ride. So I'm sure that's how they felt. Probably 10 times worse carrying his big ass to the ring on that carriage. I couldn't imagine. And I don't know what they got for that $250, $500 payday. I guess in the grand scheme of things, if you're going to pay me, you know, a few hundred bucks for three minutes of work. I mean, I guess, you know, there's, there's maybe tougher things out there to do. But I can go get a massage for like 30 bucks and be good, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it can't be fun, but no. they never seem to drop him, at least not on purpose. I mean, not on accident. <laughs> Could you imagine if they dropped him? That would be the end of a lot of things. Vince would not be pleased either. Um, <laughs> Got you the, Mohawk. the Mohawk's completely out this this week. And he goes down. Oh, my God. Yeah, somebody's getting injured if Mabel falls off the sedan there, the, the throne on the way to the ring. If he lands on somebody, they're dead. If he lands, just smacks the, the ground, he's probably uh, probably injured himself. That's a big guy to be taking a, a fall, even from that height. Yeah, absolutely. I think they had like six guys carrying him. I mean, you if you go back and look at my... To be honest, man, that those that thing looks so uncomfortable. I don't care who's on it. It looked uncomfortable to be carried out there with like Macho and Sherry sitting on. Sure, it. sure. And uh, uh, they didn't even have anything on their elbows or on their shoulders. Like, give me a towel or something just to kind of rest it on there. Don't just right. call, whatever the hell it is, like a two by four, probably to put it together. Just a piece of wood 
on your shoulders to carry 350 pounds. 5-2 tells five, Triple, Triple H there to kiss his ass. He's going to regret that later because he, he no longer has a job with the company. These two uh, fought each other in one of the In Your Houses uh, over the fall. I don't remember if it was the September or October version of the In Your House pay-per-view, but they kicked off one of the pay-per-views, had a fun match. Someone with yeah, a sign a- with the F-bomb <laughs> even made the show uh, during, <laughs> during that particular match, if I remember correctly. Looking for the pedigree early, but he's in the wrong corner and sees the Undertaker, decides against it. So this is it for Fatu as well? No, no, I just meant uh, he he's no longer with the company now like, <laughs> because he told oh. me. It was a joke. Oh, no, can't be, t- can't be telling your future boss to kiss your ass was my, was my, my whole joke. Oh, no, I won't. You know, everybody else is leaving after this show, so I was right, just curious right. if Fatu was one of them. Well, he never really seems to leave. I mean, they keep finding something new for him, and, and rightfully so. He was a hell of a talent. I was so happy he continued to stick around. I wasn't happy that with the Sultan run. He could have left during that period, and I wouldn't have really gave a flying you-know-what. Triple H wanted yeah. no part of Henry Godwin. Henry Godwin is a big boy, and Triple H wanted no part of him. They're in the middle of uh, just getting going on their feud. Jerry Lawler wants no part of him, but the heel team distracts him, and there's... Kane, the future Kane, Isaac Yankum taking advantage. So think about this for a second. In '95, Isaac he's uh, Isaac Yankum. In '96, he's the new Diesel, and in '97, he's just debuted as Kane. So three years, three Survivor Series in a row, three gimmicks in a row for uh, Glenn Jacobs here, Mayor Glenn Jacobs. He's trying. He's trying to do something to get over. Obviously, with his size, you know he's going to get every opportunity he can to get himself over or find the right gimmick. And talk about hitting Pater, uh, Kane was it, and uh, just a awesome gimmick, and he made it work. Usually, you only have room for one of those guys like that, and obviously, you're trying to level up with the Undertaker. But Kane held his own, and I thought he did an excellent job with it. Yeah, Obviously. I mean, I, I can't, I can't agree more. Uh, they, they recently—I don't really know the name of the the show or whatever. It just came out. They've been doing that thirty days of Undertaker stuff, and uh, they recently came out with a, a sit-down interview, just Kane and Taker out on the stage talking to each other, and they really address Kane's evolution from Unibomb, where the Undertaker first wrestled him in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, to Isaac Yankum. They kind of touch on Diesel, but not really, and then they talk about Kane and how it took that long to hang in there and really give it a go. But Taker says how upset he was when he found out that Vince, Vince was going to make him a dentist because he had wrestled uh, Jacobs in Smoky Mountain during the Unibomb gimmick. So he thought he was just going to come in and be a great uh, opponent. And Vince goes, yeah, we're going to make him a dentist. And <laughs> Like, uh, I don't remember if it was Taker or, or Kane that tells the story that Vince had held that idea forever because it had been a Bobby Heenan idea that had been pitched to Vince years ago. We need a dentist. You, all the jokes that Bobby Heenan could do on commentary. And so Bobby Heenan's long gone by this point, though, as Vince finally found his dentist a six foot nine, <laughs> at least six foot nine, maybe, maybe taller. Uh, Glenn Jacobs gets the, the dentist gimmick, and I still don't. I still don't get it. I mean, I guess the story with the kiss my foot match 
I mean, I guess it it makes sense in that sense, but man, <laughs> talk about ruining somebody before they even get on TV. Well, it was odd because Vince like, loved his monsters. He never really gimmicked his monsters unless they were it was a monster gimmick. And this was maybe the first monster that came in and just got handed one of those nine to five jobs. Like, ah, you're a dentist. <laughs> we found our dentist, pal. Ha ha. Bobby's gonna get a kick out of this. <laughs> oh Lord. Well, like, if, uh, in the wrong it corner. Would be cool, if, cool as hell if Bobby Heenan was doing the commentary because you know he's gonna come up with some good, good, good content. And uh, clearly, nobody in WWF at this time had the talent to come up with the jokes to get some heat on him a little bit. And but let's like let's that. be honest though, he, he, jokes jokes aside, he wasn't going to get over beyond the jokes. He was never going to be a yeah. a threat to the Undertaker. So no, absolutely not. Here's Fatu in there with the, with the king. I think is it Fatu that takes the pile? Oh, it's Savio. I think that takes the pile driver during a smash and no sells it. I really didn't understand what was going on there when they when they do that. I didn't know. Did he push off? Was he supposed to push off as he was landing so he, he didn't connect? Or or I, I remember that spot from this match. It hasn't happened yet, but and the story to this match is the uh, we'll just call him the BSK instead of the dark side. Basically, everybody but the Undertaker is tagging in. They're holding their own. They're wrestling the heel side and we go on pretty a pretty good amount of time here 10 minutes or so i want to say it seems like anyway into the match before we finally see the undertaker tag in and uh, i won't spoil the rest of the match for you but it gets very entertaining from that point but i thought a lot of these guys were doing a great job just doing the fast tags just oh my god what a boss man slam from mabel there mabel that was should've... pretty oh yeah yeah that should have been his finish, man. It, 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 that looked beautiful. Yeah, it did. It's amazing some of the stuff that he can do. And his laydown moves where he lays flat like that, he always looked good doing those. Like his belly-to-belly slam, it always looked so clean and crisp for, for his size. And It was uh, just it was everything in between. Look at that. Oh, my God. Wow. Threw, launched Savio across the entire ring. <laughs> Talk about some terrible gimmicks. Are you talking about, you talking about Quang? <laughs> no, well, that too, I guess, if you want to. I, I enjoy Quang. But, oh, uh, no. not I enjoy Mabel. Quang for other reasons. Quang was cool in my book. Oh, yeah. Saw you in the wrong part of town. All they're doing is cheap eat there, cheap, uh, it's cheap offense that he's probably about as good as he's good for. Look at that drop kick. Lawler was such a fucking talent on the microphone and, and just wrestling the psychology. I I got to have the pleasure of watching a lot of Lawler's stuff, not in Memphis as a kid, but in Dallas because Jerry Jarrett had purchased the Dallas promotion back in what the tail end of 88 or something along those lines. So Lawler would come in, and it was on ESPN all the time. Four days a week, AWA was on once, and then the other four days were typically uh, the USWA, the Dallas version. And you basically saw Lawler wrestle everyone that came through either the Dallas territory or the Memphis territory that went down to Dallas. So I got to see Lawler versus the dog, Lawler versus Kerry Von Erich, Lawler versus... it was He was basically the main event almost every day of the week. So I Lawler versus Eddie Gilbert, Lawler versus Terry Funk, and, and all the all the local guys, too. 
So I really, he was a heel down there in Dallas when, when he was basically a baby face up in Memphis. So it was fun watching him, though, play the heel there. And then when he came to the WWF, I couldn't have been more excited. Unfortunately, you know, it was the tail end of his career in the ring. But you can't tell him that because he's still working today. Yeah, he said his 50th anniversary in wrestling. Yeah, here's your spot you was talking about. Yeah, here we go. Never really understood. Now, he hits it clearly. I think this is it. I, I know somebody pops up from the pile driver. No, it's got, it's got to still be coming then. There's one. I, maybe it's fought too. Maybe it's the hard head cell. I don't remember. I know he hits a pile driver, and they sit up out of it, and Lala looks shocked, and they crawl over and hot tag. And I don't know if they hot tag Taker or they hot tag somebody else, but I know they wind up making a hot tag. I swear I'm not making this up, Steve. Oh, I, I believe you, man. <laughs> I'm looking for it now. <laughs> but yeah, Lawler, like, uh, there was nobody hotter in wrestling when he came in and potatoed Bret Hardy, king of the ring, and started that feud. It's just unfortunate those accusations came down and he basically lost pretty much all momentum that he had built and it never really regained that heat and that fire. Right. Uh, that he initially had. and Rock bottom. Savio Vega <laughs> with the Uranagi there. Very cool. Triple H takes the first WWF rock bottom. <laughs> There's a history lesson for you or a trivia question anyway. But yeah, it's, it, it's just unfortunate for Lawler. But I, I once worked, uh, watched Lawler work a uh, house show match with uh, the British Bulldog. Probably the most boring uh, match I had ever seen live uh, just uh headlocks galore the entire here it is here we go this is the spot boom i didn't understand what happened there like i still don't understand what's supposed to happen there i see lawler let him go on the way down so he can pop up from it but i just don't but did he connect did he miss it like did savio push off and land on his <laughs> knees i i still don't get it but there's the hot tag to take her and it's business business is picking up now to quote to quote jr Business is about to pick up. Lawler gets tossed back by The Undertaker. And I think we're going to start seeing some eliminations here for those wondering, when the hell is somebody going to go out? Nobody wants to tag Jerry, (laughs) tag in. Uh, The other two heels drop off the apron, but Mabel's too large for that shit. So he's just like, nah, I'm just going to turn away. And Lawler turns around. Here we go. (laughs) Elimination number one. Where's the hard camera? Boom, right there it is. (laughs) <laughs> great bump great yeah, that, spot one two oh, yeah, three absolutely. and out goes the king and there's your first real clean look at the mask there phantom of the opera mask i will say man this match uh, like there's a lot of stiffs over there on the heel side like yank him and lawler isn't going to give you a whole lot in the short time that he's there and then mabel but this is very fast paced and on oh. it like all these survivor series matches are just super fast and yeah, uh boom they know how to do the matches and make it work. One, and then, two, three, and there goes Kane. <laughs> Beat him that easy. In two two years' time, he, he'd have a lot of trouble beating Kane. Oh, Triple H doesn't want any part of this. I love that. This is great. Uh, this spot here with Triple H as he tries to run away. I don't know if you remember this, what, what happens here or not. It's been a minute, but yeah, yes. Oh. Henry Godwin isn't letting him get in. Nobody's going to let Triple H run away from here. He's got the slop bucket. And I guess Triple H would rather face The Undertaker than eat the slop. Maybe he'll change his mind here after this awesome spot. Choke slam into the middle of the ring. 
just awesome. Down goes Triple H. And one, two, three, and just like that, it's down to the dark side. All four members versus King Mabel. And right away, belly to belly. Look how good that is, man. It's such a good move for him anyway. And there's the move that supposedly crushed the Undertaker's face. The big leg drop. And I'd buy that from a 500 pound. Mabel doing a little dancing. And here we go. This is great. Undertaker sits up while Mabel's dancing. I love that. Another great visual from these oh, guys. Yeah, and Mabel doesn't want any more of it. And he can't even get his ass. His ass gets stuck on the middle rope and he has to roll out under the bottom. And now <laughs> Mo, Mo gets in the ring to. So Mabel can get away, but now Mo's the one in trouble. Mabel has to go take a shit. <laughs> we get a choke slam on Mo. Mabel runs Triple H back there. There's the choke <laughs> slam. Fatu jumps over Mo. <laughs> I meant to do that. And the entire dark side survived this fun. It was a fun match. Was it a, a great wrestling match? No, but one thing these guys have in common, all three of these guys, the Undertaker's team, they're all very big guys. They were all very good workers, especially Fatu and Savio as far as um, being a lot faster than they might look uh, based on their oh, yeah. size. They were really, really good. And I enjoyed babyface Henry Godwin, at least prior to the Godwin tag team anyway. Heel Henry Godwin, not so much. Very boring. Um, I remember when he and Duke Drosy were both new to the company and they had a match against one another at another house show I attended. And the boring chance did not stop from bell to bell. I, I literally watched that match and thought to myself, neither one of these guys, there's no way either one of these guys make it a year, you know, you know with, the, with the company. The, the business had certainly changed by that point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it's pretty crazy to think like somebody like Henry Godwin, you don't really think much of him, but, you know, best friends with Undertaker. He's, uh, from what I heard, like maybe 10 years ago, Hunter was trying to get him a job again to come out and just bring him back and work a little bit because uh, he's really good friends with Hunter. And I think last night at the farewell, when Hunter came in, he gave – Henry, a big hug. and um, You know, I noticed a few guys did that with Henry, uh, more so than some of the other guys standing in the uh, ring. It was uh, very obvious. And I, Triple H was one of them. They really, they really seemed extremely happy to see him. So see, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if we see his name pop up with some type of a job in the future, if, if that's something he's even interested in. Probably not right now with the COVID thing going on. They've recently fired damn near all of their agents. So I'm not sure what they ha- would have in mind for him, but... I wouldn't mind seeing him back. He was a he was a fun, talented worker. I even enjoyed him as Shanghai Pierce in the WCW. Yeah, I did too. Uh, he, he's just he's, un, he's I hate to say it again, but he's definitely a little bit underrated. Like he he worked it. He believed in his gimmick and he worked it. And um, he really elevated Triple H. I thought with that feud and the slop match, the slop, and then the hog pen match and things like that. Just, yeah, they, I felt like they really. Uh, cut his legs out from under him by sticking him with Phineas because they had been a tag team in WCW, Tex Lazinger and Shanghai Pierce. So they reunite here as the Godwins in the WWF. But if you think about it, Henry Godwin's babyface run, really, it didn't even go six months before Phineas was introduced. So we didn't get a whole lot beyond the Triple H feud. So that was just the, the tip of the iceberg, so to speak, for Henry Godwin. And he was still entertaining. Uh, during the the tag team matches with Phineas, but I didn't care at all for Phineas, and the, so in in general, it ruined it for me. Uh, 
So, it, in, yeah. and then they got stuck working with teams and things that weren't necessarily uh, <laughs> someone on the level of a Triple H. So, kind of hindered the rest of Henry Godwin's career in the WWF, I suppose. And then they get strapped with Jeff Jarrett. Oh, I thought they yeah. actually. I, I thought they looked great at Southern Justice, but I didn't understand how they good. explained that. But I didn't either. Yeah. <laughs> they, they cleaned up nice. So I'll say that. Yeah, it was the name change that threw me off. I, I think had they just kept the names and changed them up. Oh, well, okay, I guess I can buy this. But when they just randomly had new names, but they were the former Godwins at the same time. I'm like, how do you? Exp- how are you explaining this? As we watch <laughs> really uh, <laughs> Brett and Diesel. Last final minute thoughts before their match later here tonight for the WWF Heavyweight Championship. That match is no time limit, no disqualification, no count out. There must be a winner. And here's Todd Pettengill backstage now with the other side of the wild card team. Once again, just the heels once again. Earlier, it was uh, Dean Douglas, Yokozuna and Owen Hart, who will team with Razor Ramon. This time, it's Sid and Bulldog, and they're going to team with Shawn Michaels and the Recently debuted Ahmed Johnson, who's been nothing but impressive in his just this uh, couple weeks with the company, slamming Yokozuna and then destroying that jobber, that Jake Steele, uh, in recent weeks on TV. So we haven't seen a whole lot of Ahmed yet, so it's going to be really interesting to see how he fits in here in a match that goes damn near 30 minutes. Here we go. You knew Sean had to get a promo in before before we got to the match. Of course. And Todd's given... Jim Cornette shit for being with the other team earlier. So yeah, you knew who was winning this one. <laughs> and it's back to the ring. Going into it. So this is the wild card match. And this idea I think was uh, given by Cowboy Bill Watts. Bill Watts actually booked the matches or at least most of the matches for this pay-per-view. And this was his idea to just shake things up and random guys are going to end up teaming with random guys and, Baby faces teaming with heels, and this is what we wind up with. Of course, Bill Watts quits after one taping because he was told he would have complete control of the company, and uh, at least the wrestling aspect of the company. And Vince McMahon was going to handle the business aspect of the company. Of course, that's not what happens whatsoever. And Bill Watts, he's not one to shit around and wait. He's been in the business a very long time. He knows when he's being bullshitted. So he's uh, he's out of the company as quick as he's in the company. So unfortunately, he's already gone well before Survivor Series ever even makes the air. Yeah, I, I was very intrigued with this match. I was like, man, how are they going to get along and, and, and things like that? And it was just so unique, so different, and uh, very cool. And uh, this outside of the world title match, this is the one match that I was looking forward to the most on this card, and I could not wait to see it. There's a few botches in this match. I don't even know if some of them are botches. Uh, they, they, they all felt like botches to me, and me and my brother would even to this day, we still make fun of some of the things that take place in this match where guys kind of no-sell things when guys are ad-libbing. The other guy's like, I'm not selling that, or other things that happen that just seem off. So you get that dynamic, too, where guys haven't really worked with one another in the ring because they're they're both heels or they're both faces, and so they, they haven't really worked well enough uh, w- with each other to really understand what's going on when they're both in the ring together. And it's it's kind of a fun dynamic and another additional thing to this match. But I, I haven't, again, I haven't seen this pay-per-view in 20 years at least, probably longer. But I remember being impressed with the just the visual of all these guys. You know, you, you see you're going to see matches you don't get to see otherwise uh, in the ring. 
And then I remember Ahmed yeah. Johnson, uh, I, he probably doesn't do a whole lot here, but I remember coming out of this, uh, I think I think he slams Yoko here again, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. But here's Razor with the intro. Razor on the same team as Shane Douglas. I don't know. Maybe just to keep an eye on him. <laughs> Hard telling. I mean, who else are you going to put there? Well, it's no uh, shocker yeah, that we already. have to have so a member of the. A, a yeah, and it's no shocker we had to have a, a member of the click on both sides of the ring here. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Just my guy. Davy Boy Smith turned heel just going into SummerSlam. And right away, man, they stuck him on Raw. I mean, they were really trying to get him over quick as a top heel. Sticking me in the ring with The Undertaker on Raw uh, against Razor Ramon on Raw. He had some big matches. He wrestled uh, Diesel at the October In Your House pay-per-view, and, and that wasn't so good. But again, they're, they're, they, are, they're, they are making him a credible top heel by giving him top-of-the-line opponents week after week on TV. They're doing their best. And I, I, I'm interested. I would have been interested to see what they would have done um, at the end of SummerSlam, Lex Luger comes out, and you don't know which side he's on. Uh, I'd have been interested to see that. That'd have been pretty cool. Psycho Sid on his way down for the opposing team, uh, the team with the Bulldog, and Razor obviously has some issues. He wants to settle here with Sid and the Million Dollar Corporation. So uh, I think I'll pay a little more attention to that story during this match. I don't know that I did back then, but uh, it's maybe something I'll pay attention to here to see if. It really looks like Razor really wants Adam, or if they're just going through the motions and having a tag team match. Yeah, I mean, Sid and Razor, you got Owen and Sean, Ahmed and Yoko, I guess. Razor and Shane are on the same team, but that's that feud there. I don't let's, know. Let's. Uh, I think Ahmed's out next. Let's take a listen to his entrance. I'm curious to see what the uh, fans sound like. Ahmed! Johnson! Ah, man, Johnson, ladies and gentlemen, the man who body slammed Yokozuna. A man on a meteor rise here in the World Wrestling Federation. And this man is all business. Ahmed Johnson. You don't see this guy high five, but he is so focused. He's not guaranteeing Ahmed Johnson. He's got one thing on his mind, and that is to survive, as he has his entire life. One way or the other, that's what he wants to do right here tonight. Uh, a very, very impressive individual, Ahmed Johnson. He's as big as a house, big yes, man. he is. He's huge. He's got the double garage to go with it. Oh, that's his nose. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ahmed Johnson. what? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Mr. Perfect. Going to get us kicked off the air. Bring back Teddy Long. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I don't even know. It's one of those time travel cool. photos. Remember, You know, you, you see those from time to time. <laughs> one of the ones floating around right now is somebody swears in an 1860 picture. Some lady's holding a cell phone. It t- she time traveled, you know, or whatever. So maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe somebody time traveled back to Survivor Series 95. They want Teddy Long back in the WWF. You want to hear a pop? Shawn Michaels right here gets a right, massive let's pop. It. Let's check it out. Superstar. 
Oh my God! Did you hear Vince? Fuck the fans, man! Did you hear Vince when Sean was dancing behind there and coming out? Oh yeah! Oh, 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 look at him gyrate! Oh. <laughs> oh man! If the crowd didn't pop, Vince sure as hell was. My oh, God! Yeah, that he was pop something. You know he popped <laughs> he, something. He, yes, he, he, yes, he, yes, he did. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, yeah, yeah, Shawn Michaels. I love Shawn Michaels. <laughs> That's absolutely right. And I, I always loved Mr. Perfect getting jealous, like, almost immediately. Like, this dude has nothing on me, McMahon. Sit down. <laughs> Sit down. I believe Vince was standing. You know, they, they tell Vince, stop dancing, stop doing this sometimes. He's obviously not even doing it. But when you tell Vince to sit down during a Shawn Michaels introduction... I totally believe Vince is standing up, maybe on the table. Where's he at? I gotta get another look at him. Where's that Shawn Michaels? <laughs> I don't. I don't get it. I. I don't understand it. Ah, <laughs> oh, the boyhood dream. Is he talking about Shawn's boyhood dream or Vince's boyhood? It's become a reality. Yeah. <laughs> It almost makes you think is like Sean is what Vince wants to be when he grows up. Like he he wants to be Shawn Michaels, but he yeah. can't. Uh, it's it's so weird. It's it's bizarre. Now back then, I didn't I never picked up on it, but recently it's something I've noticed, and it's bizarre. It's so odd that we're in Landover, Maryland, and they're selling it on on the screen as Washington, D.C. Obviously, they even have the imposter Bill Clinton here. But back in the day when they were coming from here, this is the the old Cap Center. They would would bill it as Landover, Maryland. But here in 1995, this is Washington, D.C., buddy. I I don't know that you can do that. I don't know. uh, Maybe in Vince McMahon's world, you can just change cities, change states. Yeah. Do do whatever you want. Everything. <laughs> wow. We won't just make up the number of people at the event. We'll just change the fucking city, pal. How about that? Now go make me a turkey sandwich. Turkey sandwich light on the, the mustard. Yeah. That's how I like it. <laughs> oh, man. I will say, though, uh, to get back to this match <laughs> yes. a little bit, after, after Ahmed slammed Yoko, I was so pumped. That's another reason why I was so pumped for this match was just to see Ahmed just more in the ring with actual named guys right? to see what he can do. Because I, like you mentioned uh, on the Warfare show, that <laughs> I, I bought in immediately. Uh, as soon as he came out and slammed Yoko, I, I was in. Like, uh, I I want to see more. I want to see what this guy has. And this is really your first opportunity. Well, he came and, in a, uh, at a perfect I, I, time. It wasn't, and they could have thrown him into another match, like the underdogs match or something like that. Not, not necessarily. He's an underdog, but just to get his feet wet with, just you know, everybody. Yeah. And instead he starts right off with the, the big names. I mean, Yoko Zuna and Owen, even and razor Ramon over there as well. Working another baby face. Sean skins the cat. Oh, yeah, here it comes. No, he's going to take Owen out. I just love when Ricky Steamboat did that. Sean looking for a plancha, but Cornette's in the way, so... Hey, turn around, Corny. Oh, Sean ducks five seconds early. Or Cornette swings five seconds late, take your pick. Oh, Cornette (laughs) gets a tennis racket to the ass for his troubles. (laughs) 
course, Sean had to start after that entrance, and nobody else could have given what they want, right? There's that beautiful belly-to-belly throw from Owen Hart. Shane Douglas Sean in the ring now. This is another funny thing I'll point out here once we're a few minutes into the match, but Shane Douglas in there. What a terrible, what terrible gear, an exclamation point on his back. <laughs> I know he didn't uh, pick this he, gear out, but dear God, what was no. someone thinking? You, you look around the ring, and you have to think someone like Ahmed Johnson did pick that gear out. Like he said, listen up, G, this is what I'm wearing. And Vince is like, yeah, you wear that. That looks great. But nobody's telling Yokozuna like what color thong to wear or Shawn Michaels how to have his uh, gear designed. Instead, Shane Douglas is handed this stuff and told, this is what you're wearing, buddy. And, you know, forearm early on by Sean, you better hold your moves off, buddy. You got like 25 minutes out here. I'm surprised he hasn't tagged out yet, to be honest with you. Well, it's Shawn Michaels. He's not going to tag out. Are you kidding me? Well, he isn't there with Shane Douglas. That, But know. who's on top? See. <laughs> oh, I... The rumor is he was afraid of Shane. <laughs> so, well, Shane started uh, that rumor. Well, I'm sure he did. I told that Shawn Michaels, you don't fuck with the ranch fries. <laughs> uh, my, that's my boy, though. Man. I love me some Shane Douglas. We're only a couple months away from the ranch fries or the franchise returning to the ECW. It's hard to think that. Nice moonsault by Shawn Michaels there as Shane's one and only move was to take Sean down and let Sean hit a moonsault on him. So Ahmed in nice backdrop on Owen. Owen will make anyone look like a million bucks. Ahmed with a Booker T scissor kick. I forgot he'd use that move. He, he, oh, he's using the wrong leg. Well, you tell him that I'm not gonna. <laughs> he went for it and kicked Owen right in the face. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you what, though, man, it's really cool to see him in here with these guys. I, f- I wish we could have seen a little more of this type of stuff with Ahmed working guys like Yoko, the bigger guys. I mean, I could have seen Yoko really putting him over right before turning babyface. It wouldn't have it wouldn't have taken away from Yoko at that point because he would have went face. So I, I know yeah. it wasn't in the cards. It was short notice with Vader randomly just signing and coming in and doing the rumble spot and everything, but. Just a really cool dynamic to this match. I'll leave it to Bill Watts to just try to come up with something different. What are What is the WWF not doing? Well, they're not having good storylines, so they're not having good angles. They're not having good matches. Well, some of the guys are having good matches, but overall. Yeah, and I, this was so different than what you normally saw in WWF that um, you can easily do it, and it's going to be different. I mean, and you just put a, a good guy with bad guys in couple bad guys with good guys and threw them out there like it's very basic very by the book and it's nothing it's not like earth shattering or anything like that it's just wwf was so cookie Look cutter at razor so... playing a heel there razor's assisting shane douglas wow that was kind of cool no i agree with you man and it just sticks out and i i still remember this match fondly as if i just watched it on pay-per-view and that's how big this match stuck out it was the wild card match you, anything could happen buddies are fighting buddies bad guys are fighting bad guys and it was just booked the way it needed to be booked and 
25 years later, here we are. I'm st- I still remember it. And um, it's not that it's a great match. It's just it was so different for its time that you, you got excited for it. And you remember those moments. Is he covering there? Where the hell is the referee? Is that Tim White? Tim White, get down there and do your job. I mean, he had... Oh, he's going to press Shawn Michaels on to Dean Douglas here. Oh, Tim White gets down for Shawn Michaels, though. Tim White gets on his knees for Shawn Michaels. <laughs> ah, nobody better do that, not me. Nobody does that but me. Shane wisely rolls out of the ring. And where's the, what happens? It's the other click member to make sure he gets back in there and does the job properly for his boy. I'm assuming that's what's coming up here. The old O'Connor roll. Shane rolls through. Two. That looked like three to me. I don't know. Razor hits his own teammate. The the click double team Shane Douglas. And he's gone seven and a half minutes into the match or so. They just made him look like a bitch. You knew that was happening. (laughs) And I'll give you a little spoiler here too. Just so you have an idea of what's coming up here. Shane Douglas was eliminated. I'm going to look this up real quick. Shane Douglas was eliminated at seven and a half minutes into the match. The next elimination in the entire match doesn't take place for another nine minutes almost. So it's like, let's get him out early and then we'll have our real match. That's how the click booked this. At least that's the way it comes off anyway. Yeah, because it was only really click guys in there. Sean was with him. Razor did his spot with him. And, um, yeah, we're going to make him look like a complete idiot, and then we're going to get him out of here. Man, well, you know, Sean, was, Sean was cool with Sid. I would imagine at this point, Sean's okay with Ahmed. He probably sees dollar signs there. Um, I don't think he's going to have issues with Yokozuna. They're buddies with Bulldog. Bulldog was at the bar with them when the uh, the thugs attacked. So all of Sean's buddies are really in there be, be, besides Shane Douglas, who's the odd man out. And that's uh, that goes back to the old Survivor, the, uh, what is that, 88 Survivor Series? With the the Bulldogs and the Rougeos, that feud had been going on where <laughs> Jacques had knocked Dynamite's teeth out and things like that. And the, that was the Bulldogs last night in the company, and they were afraid they were going to try something. So the Bulldogs uh, or the Rougeos go out very early in that. The match goes like 40 minutes, but the Rougeos go out extremely early compared to everyone else in the entire match. And that's just to make sure they're gone and the Bulldogs don't, don't try anything. And it's like uh, Shane gets out of there early, so Shane can't try anything, it seems like to me. Or or maybe so Sean can't try anything. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, this is what you get in 95, 96 WWF until at least Hall and Nash get get out of town. And even Pac, once he leaves. So um, it's just what you're dealing with. I have to wonder, and it's, it. it's, it's complete speculation, but it's obviously there at the same time. I, I know you don't know everything about the old territory system, but I'm sure you've heard stories and you know a little bit about Cowboy Bill Watts. Uh, he was a no-nonsense guy, and he wasn't going to take shit from anyone, even Vince McMahon, clearly. And uh, yeah. you have to imagine these guys knew from – Shawn Michaels had worked there as a job guy in Mid-South, and you had to – you had in. Nash and Hall had worked for Watts in WCW. So these guys know Bill Watts. They know he's not going to put up with their shit. They're not going to run the show with Bill Watts in charge. I wonder if they had anything at all to do with Vince maybe trying to maintain a little control, at least over certain guys. And 
you know, with, with Watts leaving. I'm curious. I, I'm sure he spoke about it himself, Bill Watts has, because he's done a variety of shoots and things like that. But I'm curious to his take on the click or whatever was going on. He wasn't there very long, so I don't know that he has a lot to talk about. It's Razor Ramon getting ready to Razor's Ed Shawn Michaels. Somebody better break this up because if Sean kicks out of this, I'm pissed. All right, there you go. Where you go, Ahmed? Do your job. <laughs> yeah, it just makes you wonder if, like, man, we've worked for this guy before. We're not going to be able to do anything. We got to get Vince back. Well, <laughs> would not one, one thing they weren't going to do, they weren't going to sway Bill Watts to do what they wanted him to do. Bill Watts was going to do what he wanted to do. <laughs> that was very, very obvious. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So... It's just a clash of clash of heads there that probably never came to the head just because Watts was gone after what one taping. So, um, yeah, I mean that would have been interesting. <laughs> Talk about you have one guy that does his way and the other guys they do it their way, and it was it was going to head on collision. You knew that's how, where that was going to go. And yeah, I think I think we briefly Vince, touched on Vince it is on the side with the money, right? I think we touched on it briefly with the money war as a the two click members crack heads there. We briefly touched on one of the Monday warfare shows. Imagine a Bill Watts booked WrestleMania card. That would have been very intriguing. I would have really loved to have seen one, just one of those. Oh, that would have been awesome because he knows how to dig out those. He can do storylines and get emotion and build up uh, the culmination. Like you can't wait to see it. Like Brett and Sean had a decent story going into it. But just imagine that match with like a Bill Watts angle or two in there to really get some heat on it. Uh, that would have been tremendous. And it probably would have made it better as an Iron Man match, in my estimation. Bill Watts was always uh, always for the realism of a storyline. It wasn't so much, well, I'm mad at you, so we're feuding now. It was There was always some kind of personal conflict, which there really should be. It it draws the fans in and it really intrigues you. You know, you go all the way back to the old Freebirds blinding the dog angle. The Freebirds were public enemy number one to the fans down there, who, who, which Jim Cornette's went on record many, many times in stating that those, that those uh, Bayou crowds, not only did they believe wrestling was real, they were probably the most, outside of Southeastern Kentucky, were probably the most dangerous people, fans, you'd ever want to, you know, be around as they took their wrestling serious, you know. So when the birds blind the dog, and the dog cut that promo that you could relate with. I can't see. I can't see my children. I'll never be able to see my children grow. It was it was huge. You know, it was like uh, now you relate, and now you're pissed off that that they've done something mm-hmm. so devious and dastardly to a human. That could be me. And and Bill Watts was great for that for so long. And obviously, they, he gets so much credit from taking from Eddie Eddie Graham and booking, as does Dusty Rhodes. Maybe not the du- there's Sid with a back kick. So this was one of the fun spots that me and my brother always laugh at. There we kind of missed it. Yoko comes in to try to save Razor, and he he blasts Sid in the back, and Sid absolutely no sells it because he's like, I'm I'm not fucking. <laughs> so Yoko called the audible, and Sid's like, I'm not selling it. And so Sid does a, a mule kick there to Yoko, and Yoko just swats that away. So neither guy decides to sell for one another there, and it's probably not as funny to you guys as it was for me and my brother, but. We used to get a kick out of it every time we watched it. Like, look at this shit. Because it was funny watching wrestlers not sell for one another. Yeah, Sid, his look on his face when he kicks back is just like, it was. It was like, yeah, it was like, fuck you, dude. Don't be getting heat on me when I'm yeah, doing shit. 
it was it was i never noticed that before but you mentioned them like no selling and yeah just doing spots like that like uh, i seen i i'm looking at it before now and that was hilarious i i'd never seen that before looks like sid's laughing there when they go to the the, the wiley coyote cam there i never realized once sid, sid trimmed down here obviously once he trimmed down in the in the body frame the bumps he was taking were like that of like a, a smaller guy's landing with his legs up over his head on the back bumps and things. So he actually took that double clothesline bump better than Razor did. Yeah, he did. Sid looked great here. Uh, this To me, this is like the best Sid. I, I always liked Sid Justice in 92. Uh, I wish he didn't get injured uh, towards the end of 91 there in 92. I wish he would have had his full run as a, as a baby face. And I think when his right. turn, it would have been more impactful. Yeah. But, um, and that one arm choke slam always impressed the shit out of me, man. Oh my god! When he does it to a jobber, and he just dumps them on their neck. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. Yeah, he spent years dumping people. Just ask old uh, Buddy Lee Parker. <laughs> <laughs> Go ask that biker dude too. Sid tags his one old friend Shawn Michaels in. Oh, here we go. We get a spot here. Sid going to hold Sean, super kick Razor, Razor ducks, and boom! Super kicks his <laughs> nice slow, uh, I'll call it a uh, barbarian bump there. He always arched back before he fell. Sean doesn't even care, shrugs his shoulders. Gets his own teammate eliminated. Here's, watch this. Oh! I think Bulldog was supposed <laughs> to land on Razor. Razor sells it, but he lands on Sid. I'm assuming Razor was supposed to move. That's another spot me and my brother always have a, a big laugh at. <laughs> We these are spots you can't figure out what the hell was originally supposed to happen. Bulldog comes running in, goes to drop the elbow. He lands on Sid. Razor sells it like he lands on him. Bulldog rolls off, rolls back on Sid, and winds up pinning him there. Or uh, Razor does, and it's just a big mess of things. And Sid's back in. He's pissed off at Sean, rightfully so. If Sean ever deserved Whoa. the power bomb, it was right then and there. I can't blame Sid. No, I can't either. And I will say one thing we definitely got to point out, and we we were missed if we didn't mention it. Uh, a lot of this match, like, even at the beginning, Sean was really selling the head bumps uh, throughout this match. Right. And we all know what that leads to, but I, I thought he did a pretty good job of, I mean, he's the workhorse of this team. He's in there. It seems like every time somebody gets a tag, it's Sean, and he's probably all for it. He wants well, all I the wonder why anyway, that is. So. He's the showstopper, he, man. He, just, he can't help but be in the, the ring. Absolutely. So, but yeah, there's a spot there. He's grabbing his head. There was a move, or like I think it was a power slam early on by Shane Douglas that he sold his head. And so, look at that old lady in the front row, like holding on to every whim there. Yeah, she's been out there the whole pay per view. She's soaking this in, no, man, front and center. I wonder if she's <laughs> like Vince's mom or something. Because you know? <laughs> I know it's not, but I mean, she's center, you know, she's got like center stage here front row so it makes you wonder if maybe she knew somebody maybe she was related to somebody yeah, just seems sure, like an odd place she... for a great granny to be sitting here on a, at a pay-per-view she's she's getting into it though oh absolutely she's she's nice digging it nice I mean, you go back to the territory days, and that's who you got in the front row were all the uh, elderly ladies. You didn't want to get around them. They'd whack you with their canes, man. They took their wrestling seriously. Purses and everything else. 
Yeah. And I mean, that that was everywhere. That wasn't just in the South. You can go back to Madison Square Garden. Can't remember her name off the top of my head, but there was an elderly lady there for much of the 70s, maybe into the early 80s. She was always front row and she would get into it with Fuji, throw the salt and things like that. So she, oh, Shawn Michaels, <laughs> he, he made that bump look great there for Yokozuna, who really hasn't even tagged in a whole lot. But we, we've discussed that too on the Monday show. Uh, Yoko at this point with his size and just his inability to, to do a whole lot without being blown up, just completely out of shape and really no business in the ring at this point. Very unsafe for himself. Yeah, it's just a shame. I know the WWF did everything they could. This is about the extent of his offense. At this yeah, point. I mean, you can mask it a little bit here. You got four guys on the team to start off with. We're weeding it down a little bit here now. But Yoko tags in, and it's uh, Sean taking that bump, basically bumping himself in the corner. And then we go into a nerve hold, and Yoko doesn't even look like he's really trying there. He's just kind of kneeling down and one-handed. Doesn't even really appear to be applying pressure. Let Owen come in and do some work. <laughs> uh, it's just unfortunate, man. WWF tried their hardest to get him to lose weight and get him back in shape. But I think Jim Ross said it. I, I don't know the exact quote, but paraphrasing here, he's like, we can put him in the hospital to get him the help he needs. But if he's sneaking out to get pizza, what else can you do? Yeah. Um, you got to you gotta want it. And he didn't want it. It doesn't seem like. And, and no, that's pretty much the end of him. Yeah, sadly enough, I mean, you know, he comes back at Survivor Series 96 even larger than this because they do send him away in 96 to try to get him some help, as you as you mentioned. And then he comes back, winds up randomly coming back. I think it was just a one-off. I really don't remember him being there after that unless unless it was a match with maybe Sean or something on TV after that. I'm not really sure. But he wasn't there very long. He came back and he was gone again, and we, we never saw him again. I, I mean, Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view, that was just scary how large he had gotten from that at that point. Yeah, it, it, what's crazy is, and I, I don't think people realize this, he came in and ended 92, really hit the stride in 93, but look how small he was there compared to now. Yeah. Like, 93 Yoko was just amazing. But two years later, uh, you're, you're talking two years he's, later. He's almost in years. He's like 200 pounds heavier. Yeah. And he was already 400 pounds. And, and at first, Vince got a kick out of it. You know, every is Yokozuna got larger. Vince, I think, enjoyed to some degree announcing his way. Oh, he's 500 pounds now, you know, and as he got larger and larger until it got to the point where, okay, this isn't fun anymore. It's, you know, it's a little too much. I'm getting that big hot tag. <laughs> He's looked a little sloppy here. <laughs> well, I mean, he's green, and this is a pay-per-view, and it's really his first big match. I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but I could, I get it. I get it from a lot of aspects right now. Uh, he's going to come in. He's probably going to throw some live rounds like Shane McMahon. And right there, the Pearl River plunge, two, three. Gets to eliminate Owen Hart. Pretty big deal. And if oh, you yeah. notice, there on the hot tag, you know, usually all the guys come in and they feed for you. Razor and Owen came in and fed for Ahmed. Yokozuna was not getting back in the ring. No. In fact, he looks gassed out there, which is unfortunate because all he did was a nerve hold. Ahmed here, he screws this up, wanders way too far away for the Razor Bulldog. Razor has to come get him in. Bulldog anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Razor didn't look too happy. 
Oh, he nailed Sean there. <laughs> Great sell job. I, of course, Sean's going to sell for his boy. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you notice Sean's sell job for Razor is better, better than anyone else's. And, uh, and he tumbles out of the ring. Razor calling well, a spot here. Spot we'll see what this is. To, Razor, to Yoko's Irish whip was pretty nice. Oh, I bet Scott Hall didn't dig that too much. That spine buster looked a little rough. Looked like a He's spine like, what the buster. Hell are you doing, man? <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, yo. Oh, here we go. This is where he sets himself up for the Razor's Edge. If this wasn't obvious, let me stand on the bottom rope and raise my arms. Oh, how did that happen? And Bulldog tags himself in. Blind tag. And Ahmed Johnson, man, taking the Razor's Edge. Something you like really. Jobber. Yeah. He sold it like he's getting up. Flipped over for him. He's already on his feet. He's he's wrestling the skyscrapers back in '89. Here, he's already on his feet, wandering over to the uh, the corner from the razor's edge. You don't get up from a move like that that fast. But he's Ahmed. He's he's all man. He's Ahmed Johnson. Oh, what do we have here? I don't know, man. The kid, he just looked bigger when he turned heel. I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if the it's fall away slam or, or what, but something that's made him look different when he when he turned. I like how Razor hits the fall away slam, and instead of looking in their direction because he's not supposed to see him yet, he does like this complete spin all over Bulldog to make sure he covers him facing away from Sid and the kid. And there's the kid grabbing Razor's foot. Boom! Knocks the kid off. Everybody, everybody in the click taking good bumps for Razor tonight. And Razor turns right around into the Bulldog power slam. That's all she wrote. You got to believe it. One, two, three. Razor Ramon's gone. And that's a big win for Bulldog leading into the title match and then uh, the next in your house. So, so we're down to three on one, and it's scary too because it's it's down to Yokozuna, which makes sense size wise, and and you know former world champion makes sense, but based on his ability to go right now, I don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense. But it's three on one. It's Sean and Ahmed and the Bulldog taking on Yoko. But you got to remember Bulldog and Ahmed or Bulldog and Yoko are both managed by Jim Cornette. And I think that plays in a little bit here. I think Bulldog tries to. Oh, what a shot. Good sell by Sean there. One shot from Yokozuna. And sometimes, you know, it takes a great bumper like a Sean or a Kurt Hennig to make the other guy looks like look like they're doing way more than they actually are. So one thing Sean did here uh, is mask. Uh, Yokozuna's lack of ability very, very well in this match. Yeah, I didn't. I, you almost have to. What are you going to do? Uh, you're going to no sell Yoko? He can, just, he can just squash you. Like, it, it's kind of like what Hogan said. He was, you never knew what was going to tip Andre off. And so you did your best to protect him and you just pray to God that he's going to do business with you. And, uh, I mean, that's all you can really do. Um, Obviously, they're professionals and things like that, but it, all it takes is to piss them off. Just go ask Big John Studd and the Ultimate Warrior. So, what's Sean going to do? <laughs> oh, looks like we're going for the uh, the bonsai here. Bonsai drop on Sean. And, you know, this is a, a day out from the uh, whole Sean Michaels collapse angle that they do on Raw. And if you pay attention, you tell, tell yourself as a fan the story of this match and add it, couple it with, the, the thug beat down, and then, you know, what happens on Raw. You have a pretty good uh, picture you, you've painted. Here tonight, he's taken the Razor's Edge. He's taken Sid's power bomb. He took the leg drop from Yokozuna. You know, he's... he's by Shane Douglas at the beginning when he was fresh. He kind of bumped his head there. So, I mean, there's a lot 
a lot that he's a lot of damage that he's taken to his head and uh it all comes to a head no, no pun intended tomorrow I would I'm love to see what would, what would happen here if Sean Hot tagged the Bulldog. Would they even would they even go at it? Did we ever even see Bulldog? I don't think we saw Bulldog versus Yoko or Owen in this match, so they did avoid that. Ahmed yeah, was going to jump in the ring, and he thought about, nah, I'm a little gas, G. Ahmed, waiting yeah, for Yoko to turn on. Yoko. I got to go pick this big boy up. Oh, that wasn't as pretty jumping. as the first one. Yoko looked gas, though. He looked like he was trying to get. And the Bulldog breaks up the cover. On his own teammate, he doesn't want. What, what does he think is going to happen here? He doesn't want Yoko eliminated. But how else are you going to win the match? Are we just going to be here all night? <laughs> it didn't make any sense. I mean, I get it from the the standpoint of they're both managed by Cornette. But at the end of the day, you there's the super kick, Bulldog knocked out of the ring by his own men, and Ahmed, big splash that'll do it. And I believe he screams as he <laughs> leaps in the air there and gets the three count. Ahmed Johnson. Pins Yokozuna. And yes, I know there was a super kick involved, but that's a pretty big deal. And it's pretty big for Sean to give up that pinfall, too, and, and allow Ahmed Johnson to get the pin and, and understand they're trying to make a, a star that's not part of the clique. Yeah, and also, you know, he pinned Owen Hart, too. So a uh, pretty big night for Ahmed. I thought they did a great job of this is This is fun him. here. They, they, the crowd cha- changes cheers to booze as the different sides raise, raise their hands. Oh, man, Vince had to be in heaven here, the way he fawned over Sean and then the way he put over Ahmed, too, when he first came in. I mean, to have them together here, this had to be like Vince McMahon's like, big there night. Sean, there you go, Sean's wobbling and holding his head and things like that. So he's definitely, he knows what's coming. And here's Sunny. She's already forgotten about Skip being eliminated earlier in the Survivor Series because she's out here now with the uh, fake Bill Clinton. Oh, let me let me spill a little popcorn. Oh, there we go. I knew it was coming. Oh, oops, oops, oops. Mr. President, all you have to do is give me a little weed and we, we can talk about this. <laughs> or, or pay for me on whatever fucking site she's on, onlyfans.com or whatever the hell she's on now. Once she gets back out of prison, I mean, she's she's back in jail right now. What a... Talk about a dark side of the ring waiting to happen. There you yeah. go. Right yeah. Uh, what else can you say about Sonny? Yeah, it's very, very, very unfortunate. Uh, the most beautiful woman on earth, <laughs> if you ask me back then. And I guess. It's, it's hard to even find her attractive anymore. Or no, no, you know no. no. I, c- I couldn't anyway. She's. Wow. Yeah, it's. It's so funny you hear the stories of she she was going to, going to college to become an attorney, but she loved wrestling. She grew up on wrestling. She loved wrestling. She was her boyfriend was Chris Candido, who was an indie worker, and 
she got in the business basically because of Jim Cornette. Oh, this is your girlfriend. Let's, you know, give her a job. She, if you ever watch her stuff in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, she's a natural. Uh, oh, yeah. Her promos are amazing. She appeared a few times on Radio WWF. Now, I knew who she was from Smoky Mountain, but I was really shocked that they put her on there because she was Tammy, Tammy uh, Fitch, yeah, in Smoky Mountain. And she got to go on there and, and do, do a little bit of this and that every once in a while on the radio. And she was just really good. Yeah, that's the sad part. Is like she, I, I can't remember. Uh, there's the game they play that like all wrestlers play. Like if you just give the town and the height and weight, they can guess the wrestler. And uh, Jim Cornette said Sonny's like really the only guy, only person in the business that can give her a run for her money, give him a run for his money. And uh, that just goes to show like how much she knows about the business and how much she cares about the business. And demons have consumed her. Yeah, uh, from the latter part of the last what thirty or twenty five years, I would say maybe eh, that's too long, but last twenty years anyway. And, yeah, close um, enough. It, it's just unfortunate because she does have a great mind for the business, and you need people like her around because she is a historian type, and you need you need people there that can preserve the history of the business and know it and enjoy it and things like that. I think that ship has sailed, unfortunately. So absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, no argument here. It's just unfortunate. And we're getting ready for the main event of the Survivor Series. This is Diesel defending the World Heavyweight Championship against Bret Hart. A little backstory here. These two first went at it all the way back at King of the Ring. Oh, geez. What was that? 94? That was 94. 94 yeah. Yeah. Or um, Donovan. Yeah. And what was the, I can't remember the finish of that. I know it wasn't, there was no pinfall involved. Um, the Anvil got involved. Might have been a disqualification. I think Diesel got the win because Anvil got involved. And later we'd find out the Anvil's actually yeah. on Owen's side. He turned heel. Uh, then yeah. later on, earlier here, January of 95, they had their second match uh, for the title at the Royal Rumble. And then we kept getting run-ins there. It wound up being basically a no contest with a bunch of heels running in, attacking both Brett and Diesel at one point or another. So this is the, the rubber match, but it's really not the rubber match because we really had no real winner yet. So this is their third pay-per-view between the two, their third meeting as far as I know. And Diesel won the heavyweight championship basically essentially roughly a year ago uh, when Bret Hart lost the belt to Bob Backlund at Survivor Series 94, and Diesel comes out, what was it, the next night at Madison Square Garden, a day or two later anyway, and jackknifes him and beats him in nine seconds, eight, eight or nine seconds, and wins the world title. And then the, the Diesel experiment began... And this is uh, probably the lowest drawing, I guess, champion of all time up until this point, according to uh, several people. I don't know that it was all Diesel's fault, but uh, you can certainly blame him to some degree. Uh, you have to blame the opponents that he had been handed all year. The matches were stink fest with Sid and Mabel and guys like that. Uh, meanwhile, Bret Hart's been working guys uh, on the mid card, just having great matches for the most part against the likes of Jean-Pierre Lafitte, Hakushi. Of course, he's done the, the stuff with Lawler and, and Isaac Yankum in between as well. And this is basically Brett's uh, ascension back to the main event picture. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Somebody came out recently and said, you really can't blame Diesel because there was nobody on the roster that was going to draw in 95. No wrestler is going to draw. Yeah. Um so, uh, yeah, it, to a degree, it's his fault, but the wrestling business was so far in the shitter 
that nobody cared. You just had your kind of your cult audience that was just not going to go away no matter what, uh, no matter what you threw at them. Kind of like a, you had me and you and uh, probably the other, what, 2 million people or the 2.3% pe- of people that tuned in every week or whatever on Raw and Nitro. Uh, so you had a pretty big audience. It just wasn't drawing at the house. And uh, back then, that's all that made money. And um, Yeah, I'll tell you how so, bad, uh, when I realized how bad it had gotten, and it was certainly in 1995. That was the first time I ever got a front row ticket to a house show. I had tried for years to get to that front row, and by the time you go get tickets, the closest I ever made it was I got third row here and there. I, I, I really believe I even got second row one time, but I never, it always escaped me for years. I was never able to get to that front row. I was never able to. This was not the internet days or whatever the hell you can do now. I wasn't part of the WWF. Uh, I wasn't on their sign-up list, so they didn't contact me first. Um, so I was just a fan. You know, I don't remember where I got my tickets. It might have been Ticketmaster. But that was the first time that I got a front row seat at one of these shows here at 95. It was, I, don't, I couldn't tell you which one without looking it up. But that was when I came to the realization, has it gotten this bad that it was that easy for me to get a front right. row ticket? Because those are gone uh, basically immediately. Those are gone before they really go on sale because back then they had their mailing list and they would alert their mailing list people, the people that purchased shit from them left and right, their fan club people and all of that. They would alert them first. They get first dibs on on purchasing tickets, so the front row is almost always gone. Anyway, uh, there you're telling me there wasn't even enough people <laughs> that, that bought a ticket for the front row because I, a spoiler alert, guys. Do you know what a, a front row ticket cost to a house show back in 1995? I might be off by a dollar or two because they did go up a couple bucks at some point here, but they were roughly twenty dollars. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. I know when I had to buy tickets, you had to always go down to like the record store, Karma Records, or uh, I can't remember the one that we had that we they you could buy Ticketmaster tickets. Yeah. And, um, so it wasn't like you could just hop on the internet and just buy you a ticket and get in line, and hopefully they're still there when you get there. Uh, you had to go wait outside and uh, just wait for them to, that on sale. I think it was every every ticket was on sale at ten in the morning. And that may still be the case now, but yeah, you had to be in line. And hopefully what you wanted was still there. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, most of the time when I went, uh, when, whenever I wasn't doing the floor deal, we just walked up, you know, you were never going to sell out a house show so much here in the early and mid nineties. So it wasn't really a concern <laughs> of your, if you were going to get a ticket. Uh, but whenever I was doing the floor, it was typically a call in, um, or my stop wasn't the record store. My, my stop was, uh, J.C. Penny in the mall <laughs> on the second floor of J.C. Penny in the mall. There was a, a little Ticketmaster outlet in the store. And that's where I would get my tickets. Wow. wow. And it, to kind of put this in perspective, I was trying to buy tickets for WrestleMania 22 in Chicago. And when I called Ticketmaster, so that was 06, I think it was when Brett went to the Hall of Fame as, as we get going here. Um, they're like, sorry, they're only available. Tickets are only available for people who live in Chicago. Like, I was I'm not going to give away where I live, but I was not in Illinois. I was in a state nearby, and they're like, sorry, we can't sell you tickets. And this was in '06, so I missed the boat on that one. I ended up going to Detroit, and then I ended up going to Florida back to back years. But it's crazy how easy it is now to get tickets, and Meltzer discredits that and everything else. And I get it, but. 
it's so much easier to sell tickets now and people ain't buying them. So um, I don't give a shit. People did it back then. It, yeah, obviously you're going to take a little effort to get what you want because that's what you had to do. But as we know, just because it's convenient and easy doesn't mean people are going to do it. Right. And I didn't mean to ignore this match either. I mean, we got two baby faces out here. I should set that stage as well. Diesel's been champion for years, I pointed out. But Bret Hart, going into this show with the uh, split-screen interview they did on Raw, which was really well done, Bret Hart feels yeah. he's never really lost the title. Almost felt a little bit whiny. Uh, not that I, we're not accustomed to that with Bret Hart. But his mom threw the towel in, and his mom was not the towel bearer of his match with Bob Backlund, so he really never lost the belt in Bret Hart's mind. It just took him a year to go back. back. Well, I guess he did go go for it at the Rumble, but it took him the rest of the year to get another title shot here against Diesel. And Brett's story going in here is that he has the stamina to outlast Diesel, and that's his plan. Diesel's rebuttal was, I don't plan on this match going very long. I'm coming in there to beat somebody up and, and, and leave with the belt. So I, I, I love the the dynamic of their their viewpoints. Brett figures, I'm going to outlast this guy, and that's how I'm going to beat him. And Diesel's thinking... I'm not going long. I'm going to put you away early. I'm going to pound you down and beat you. That's what I'm out there for. So that's their that's the dynamics of the two. Of course, Brett, the technical wrestler, and Diesel, the beat him up type guy. Yeah, Diesel's infamous line, I don't get paid by the hour. I'm going to go out there and end it fast. And uh, If that didn't Brett, sound like a, a Kevin Nash line, I don't know what does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If it is gimmick completely. But, uh Brett's trying to run away here, get get away from him, kind of stall, make him come after him. So the the story being told early is definitely Diesel's removing turnbuckle pads to try to hurt him. He's taking it to the outside, doing moves, dropping him on the guardrail, doing things like that to end it quickly. Whereas Brett's kind of running a little bit to wear him out, and uh, definitely they're 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 selling they're doing what they're selling. So yeah, um, and even though they're both baby faces, and there's really no animosity between the two outside of the world title there's really no issues between the two this is a no disqualification match because they want to ensure there's going to be a winner here and that basically means anything goes which we'll see before this match is over absolutely Uh, i like this gimmick a lot better than what they were going to do they was going to do the cage which we get that later on uh i think in february uh at the in your house we get the cage match but um Yeah, the cage match would have definitely hindered both of these guys to the point where it had been a very difficult match to enjoy. Yeah, it certainly was never going to live up to the hype of this match. This is, uh, if I remember correctly, this is a pretty damn good match. Yeah, I I love this match, and uh, we'll talk about it when we get there, but there's a spot here that's still still memorable today. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. And also, I will say that this is another interesting note here. I think this is the very first Survivor Series that was on a Sunday instead of Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving Eve. So, oh, is that um, a fact? You see, I remember. I don't really remember beyond '93, so that's uh, cool to know. I did look because you did ask, like, did Diesel win it the next night, which would have been Monday Night Raw night. I know they may have taped or whatever, but um, I, I think he won it that Friday. So they had it all. They had Survivor Series on Thanksgiving Eve. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I would, if I had thought twice, I, I would have remembered that. My side would have made sense because I knew Backlund won it in the middle of the week, and I knew it was like a day or two after the pay per view. So I should have known that was Thanksgiving Eve, but I, I, I just didn't yeah. do the the math there. 
Yeah, and this is I looked at the calendar. This is the nineteenth, so that's definitely a Sunday. It's not Thanksgiving Eve. Yeah, we've moved so away from the uh, Thanksgiving tradition. Sadly, which is unfortunate. They say this is uh, uh, Vince's favorite holiday. <laughs> kind of an odd holiday to be your favorite. Yeah, it's hard to compete with Christmas, but uh, well, you know, uh, Thanksgiving was the biggest night at least in the Southern territories, but it was uh, the biggest drawing night every year in most territories. That was their big card. That was their WrestleMania show for the most part every year. Yeah. Not that they built everything up all year to get there, but they, they tried to pull out all the stops on on those events and Vince avoided running on uh, holidays. Whereas most of the other territories preferred to run on the holidays. They seem to draw really well Christmas even and, and Thanksgiving. Certainly. Vince really never ran on those days and obvi- for obvious reasons, but he did start, you know, running the Survivor Series. Of course, that was a lot of that was, uh, you know, in response to Starcade. Yeah, yeah. He did try Christmas once with the No Holds Barred match in the movie. No, that was I the twenty seventh. The twenty seventh. It's close. Yeah, it was close enough. But have a No Holds like Barred that. Christmas. Oh. <laughs> Diesel going for the jackknife. Yeah. Diesel going for the jackknife. He wasn't kidding, man. He ain't getting paid by the hour. Brett is fighting it. <laughs> it looks legit. Look at him. And that's why I was yeah. you know, guys don't do that nearly enough when the big guy tries to to pick them up. Grab their leg. Hook your arms around their thigh. That's I mean, that's realistic. That's how you that's how you counter it. They have tree trunks. Grab them. <laughs> they are 6'10, 6'11. Grab them. That's what they're there for. And if Brett didn't put himself over so damn much, I might appreciate him a little more because he, he gets some damn good matches out of some guys that you really don't see have many good matches. And Diesel, certainly one of them. Some of, some of his best shit ever was with Bret Hart here, and this match uh, especially. Uh, I think this is Diesel's best, best match of his career right here. He was yeah. forced to work, and Brett did everything he could to make it believable and make it work. and. I Brett gets a bad rep just because he is a crybaby, but I don't care. I, I he he was just happened to be the guy that I grew up with for the most part, and because uh, I'm a little bit too young for the prime Hogan, I got the tail end of Hogan, I got the Warrior things like that. But Brett was pretty much it because '93 was when I really took off, and Brett was the guy, and so I. Uh, I give Brett a pass on everything. I don't care. Uh, he has legitimate gripes. He's gone through a lot in his life. I, I get it. You shouldn't just harp on those things. But at the end of the day, I mean, I feel like he deserved better than what he ended up getting. And it's not anybody's fault. It, shit happens in wrestling. It just sucks that it happened to Bret Hart. I, I really right. do feel that. Well, I some would argue that some of injured. some of some of the issues he he brought upon himself. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, it's hard to hard to get mad at him. Like I don't know how other people would react if something happened to their brother, like it happened to his. Like I don't, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't understand. I don't know how I would react to something like that. How I would feel towards. I I I, I get it. It sounds like he's over it and he's buried the hatchet with Vince. But I, I think at the same time, it's almost like if a girlfriend cheats on you, and yeah, you forgive him. But at the end of the day, that's constantly in the back of your mind. So I can just imagine every time he sees him, it's like, you killed my brother. Like, you- Well, you know, Brett, 
Brett's really come out and said most of his major concern was he was uh, in the belief when this screw job went down and he left the company that he would never be able to watch any of his uh, footage ever again. His footage would be taken away from him forever. And now that he has access to it, I guess that that's alleviated a lot of it too. He's just really happy to be able to have whatever he didn't already have of himself and whatever is put out there. So I think it's a little bit about Bret Hart. Yeah. He's sitting here working the figure four on Kevin Nash. So Diesel tried to end early in the match early with the, with the jackknife, obviously. And Brett decides to slow things down as he promised to do on raw. And he starts working over the big man's legs, which makes sense here. And even locks in the figure four. It looked like he almost was going to go for the sharpshooter and he changed it up, went for the figure four there. Don't see that a whole lot from the hitman, but not at least not without the ring post involved. It's his homage to his favorite guy, Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the problem is with Bret is there's no bigger mark for Bret Hart than Bret Hart, and that's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. When you believe your own shit, you're like, your shit don't stink. It, it's just going to rub the majority of the people the wrong way. And if you didn't live with, like, you didn't grow up with Bret Hart, you didn't live it, it, it's hard to, I mean, it's not hard to go back and appreciate how great he is in the ring. Like, I can give you a Bret Hart match. And Here we go. You, you're going to come out like a believer in Bret Hart sure. as far as his in-ring work goes. But at the end of the day, like, he just rubs too many people the wrong way. And I, I guess it's just part of it. You just got to have that mentality that you're the best and he believes it. And I guess. It is what it is. I give him a pass. And there we saw Bret Hart basically trying to apply his sharpshooter, and Diesel goes to the eyes. So babyface Diesel doing whatever it takes in this no-DQ match to keep retain his title belt there. So we get a little bit of heel reaction from the champion because he's going to keep that belt at all costs. And I, I'm, and I know things break down a little more than that as the match goes on. And here's Bret. Oh, <laughs> Did Brett hit his ear on that kickoff to, into the corner? Because it looks uh, like there's some blood. I have no idea. I didn't. I don't. Because when he hit the when he hit the when he hit the corner, he grabbed his ear, and then if you look at his back shoulder, it looked like there was some blood there. I, I don't know. I don't remember. Is there blood in this match? Not that I recall. Yeah, yeah look at it. look at the back of his shoulder there. Bret Hart grabbing. What is that? Is that a? A rope or a wire? It's the cable. Yeah, but it okay. looks like there's some blood there. I don't know. Uh, maybe this grazed the rope wrong and it made it bleed. I don't know. But he grabbed his ear, and it, it was an awkward thing to grab for there. Now, Brett, this is pretty clever here. This is not something you see every day in the wrestling business. So it's a pretty clever idea from Brett here, grabbing that cord. And he's going to wrap it around the leg of Diesel, and it's all legal. So the hitman, who's always basically been a babyface his entire singles run anyway, is getting a little heel here, if you want to call it that. He's We've already seen Diesel do a few things that are questionable, but this is... Oh, man. There's you a boot to the face. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's great and stuff. Like as the guy's starting to really... They're both proving at this point, well, I'm going to do... Oh, this is no disqualification. I'm just going to do whatever I got to. To, to walk out of here yeah. with the belt. I, I really, really enjoy that part of the story. So we have two no, baby awful. faces here, and they're both breaking the rules. Of course, the rules yeah, are thrown really out, but... And Diesel, this is great. That was great. Diesel tries to run away, but he can't because his foot's tied up, and Brett winds up catching him off the middle rope there. Good spot. 
Yeah, absolutely. Earlier, Brent, you know, he had the figure four on and Diesel got to the ropes, but he doesn't have to let go. It's no DQ. You can't make me let go of him. So, yeah, he definitely started with the heel tactics. Here's the chair. Diesel did it earlier. So, yeah, it's definitely different seeing these two guys do whatever it takes to win the belt. And they're both fan favorites. They're both good guys. And uh, it, to me, it just made the belt feel more important. Like, these guys are going to do whatever it takes to win the title because they want that belt. It's what makes them tick. And it's all about the belt. And I thought that was very well done. Another great spot there is uh, Brett runs a diesel with the chair. Brett goes and gets the chair. He runs a diesel with it. And diesel, well, he first he trips up on the on the cord. But once he gets his foot uh, unwrapped, he nails Brett with the uh, with the free foot, the big boot. But he can't get over to capitalize because he's tied up. So just really good psychology and story being told here. Diesel just being screwed by being tied to this cord here as Brett works over his leg with the chair now. And I hadn't realized how much Brett went to uh, the length Brett Brett went to in this man. I remember him tying diesel's leg up, but I, I just didn't remember him using the chair and, and things like that. So it's very uh, intriguing to watch the, uh, the wrestler Brett Hart, uh, re- just, uh, basically trying anything and everything to get that belt back around his waist here. So it makes him go. And, you, you know, you got to remember, these guys don't even technically hate each other. They're both uh, right. top-of-the-line baby faces. They really haven't had any issues. As far mm-hmm. as storyline purposes, they have mutual respect for one another. But uh, go back to what you say, man, it's all about that belt. And that's really all the t- that's what they're fighting over here. And 95, you believed every minute of it because the belt meant something. Now, not so much, but. No, now um, it doesn't even matter who has the belt or if the belt changes. It doesn't even matter really who gets a pinfall. They've tra- mm-hmm. trained you. It's I don't even know. And Brett crotches himself. I don't know what he was going for there. It's not often you see Bret Hart climb to the top rope. No, it's always the middle rope. No, oh, Brett's going to take the uh, the old flare bump here, maybe. Oh, he's, channel- he's channeling his inner Ric Flair here. Well, he is the dirtiest player in the game. Well, they're in, well, they're according to Vince, they're in Washington, but it, it is Landover, so that's kind of NWA country. So maybe he's just channeling Ric Flair because he knows he knows it's going to get over in this. Well, crowd. it's it's both people's country. I mean, it's WWF. That's kind of where they mingle, they intermingle there, right around that area. Obviously, Vince's yeah, dad ran ran, well, ran DC. That was where the WWF really was conceived. Capital Wrestling, yeah. So I, I think this is one of the few towns that both companies could draw well. Right. Was Chicago and Baltimore really are the two big ones. Yeah, and we're here in Landover. Maybe Atlanta. That was that was WCW country there for the longest time. It side took a long side. time for it. Or as Gorilla would call it, a side suplex, the patented side suplex of Vino Bravo. <laughs> That's right. Dino Bravo. And Brett takes the epic chest first bump into the corner. And uh, I didn't notice this before. The, uh, the, the turnbuckle pad's gone. I didn't see Diesel do that. Or did Brett do it? I don't know. That's the one Diesel took off. Diesel took it off at the very beginning, and then Brett did it on the other side. That's okay, see, I missed, I missed all of that. Yeah. 
Diesel took it off first. He just ripped it right off, and then Brett's over there struggling to untie his. And it's kind of like, oh, you're going to do that? Well, I'm going to do it right back, so there you go. Diesel's selling that leg pretty good here. It's been worked over for quite a bit of time there by Bret Hart, and it really was uh, some some good spots there. It wasn't a bunch of downtime. It wasn't like Davy Boy and Diesel the month prior, which was probably, sadly, Diesel's worst match. Uh, that, and that covers a lot of ground. That covers Sid and Mabel and, and guys like that, and that's probably because it went a lot longer, too. Diesel couldn't run on that move, and it had way more impact than it would have if he did run. <laughs> right, right. It, it just looked cooler that way. I'm trying to notice if Brett really did hit his ear. It seems like there's blood coming up on that shoulder. Area. You are a you are a oh. stickler for these 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 uh, accidental blood spots on guys, man. You point these out like every time well, we I do never, a watch log. I was like, I, I don't care personally. I never but. noticed it. I never noticed it before, but I did notice when he kicked off. Like he grabbed his ear, which is again is a weird spot to grab. Sure, sure. He, yeah, he probably did cut it. I mean, I don't doubt that. That's yeah. I mean, your ear gets in the way <laughs> when you, when you're. Rubbing up against things. That's, that's how they get the cauliflower, too, you know, and, and the headlocks and things. Just damn ears. If they weren't there during wrestling matches, would be a lot better off. Just ask uh, Mick Foley. Yeah. Looks for the snake eyes. Oh, Brett slides out and rams Diesel headfirst into the steel. The exposed steel corner. Now, that would knock a normal guy out. You could win the match, but Diesel just drops to a knee. And he's, he's, I like how he's going, like he's wobbly when he's trying to pick him up. He's struggling to do it. He's really doing a great job of selling his knee. Yeah, I don't know leg. that, I don't know that Nash was a bad worker overall, like when he was in there with somebody that could work. But it just seemed like he didn't give a shit most of the time. You never Dude. saw him sell like this in WCW. He just never, never had to. He didn't seem like he just never took, took it seriously. Yeah, when you go to WCW, it doesn't matter what the hell you do. It's not about putting on a decent match. It's just, I don't know what it was about there, to be honest with you. It was just a pop of rating. Money. Nothing else mattered. Money, money, money. Well, money didn't matter either, because they was just handing that out like candy. I meant for Kevin Nash, that's what mattered. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, nice float over there. Delayed the- float over. Yeah. <laughs> hit, the, hit the side Russian leg sweep, and then eh, he thought about it, and then he floated over a little, little bit of a nod to Brad Armstrong <laughs> about 30 seconds late. Tony, man, he's just channeling that NWA WCW crowd. That's what he's doing. He knows his Cl- audience. Clotheslines Diesel to the floor. Right in front of Granny, man. She's digging this. Look at this. That Brad oh, my God. What a wipeout. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know what the hell he was trying there. I'll tell you, man, that spot that he, when he did that to Bulldog at SummerSlam 92, oh my God. I'm surprised Bulldog didn't like just snap his neck. (laughs) (laughs) He overshot it and he, he just grabbed his arm, his neck and threw him down. Anyway, that was a nice spot there. Yeah, I mean, I'm just wondering what they're 
what they're going for here with Diesel rolling in the ring to get away from, but he thought he he'd think he would capitalize. Maybe a jackknife on the floor. That'd be nice right now. Probably would have helped him in the long run, in the grand scheme of things, before this match is over with. And here we go. Brett's wandering around to position himself into a spot here, I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. And if there's one spot you guys want to watch in this match, it's coming up right about here. It's Bret Hart up on the apron, and Diesel sends Bret through the table, and Hugo Savinovich <laughs> takes his first of a gazillion, bumps out of the chair, his oversell, uh, and somebody in their first Spanish announce table has been broken in the history of the WWF, and it, it wouldn't be great without Hugo taking that bump out of the chair just to get it across a little, even a, just a little more. Yeah, I still remember that bump. I was like, holy shit, this went through that a was, table. That was huge. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, this is obviously like this happened every night in ECW, and uh, it would get way overdone. And this is even after like Sabu did it, but you never really seen Sabu just send somebody through the table on Nitro. It, well, it you never just... saw somebody go through a table on the WWF, period. So this yeah, was, yeah, uh, totally. it was, it was just completely out of the element. Yeah. By this point, I'd had I'd owned the ECW double tables tape, so I had seen the match where the gimmick was you had to put both your opponents through the table or whatever the hell it was. So I, I understood the concept of putting people through the table, and like you just pointed out, we had just seen Sabu do it to himself at least a couple of times now on WCW Nitro. So it's it's out there. We know that it exists, but to happen in the WWF, it was just an element of WWF that never happened before. So when this yeah. happened, out of the blue, and Brett loved, used to love to take those bumps off the apron into the guardrail anyway. He, he's done that on numerous times. Mm-hmm. But here to take it through the table, great bump by Brett Hart and just uh, really cool. Uh, they, it really set the tone for the future of the WWF because tables, start, they weren't used all the time, but they set the no. precedent. So it, it did happen again here and there. So eventually we'd see Sean go through a table or Mankind try to go through it, kind of dive headfirst through a, a hole in the table and things, things like that. So Mind games. Wow. Yeah, that's, a, that's another one of those spots that you just remember. Here we man. go. Here we go. Let's pick up, the, the let's pick up the audio here. Handed to Hart. He's a tough competitor. He's down and out. Diesel as Bret Hart slips down. Turn him over, Penny. I don't think. So, real quick before he goes for the jackknife again, the story here is Diesel's showing a little remorse for Brett. Well, let's see what happens with that. I, I don't know. That's a wise decision. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I can't believe it. He did it. He did it. He did it. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute here. Come on. Oh, good gosh. Diesel. Oh, she struck an official. Diesel. Diesel. That always kills me. He struck six of them, Ross. Yeah. That always killed me because he lays out the ref. He power bombs Bret Hart. I mean, it's something a heel does. Then he nails three more referees, and Jim Ross says, oh, he struck an official. And it was just another fun line here from this Survivor Series pay-per-view is it, it seemingly uh, Diesel turns heel here. And it had been five, just five years removed from Bret Hart dropping the F-bomb after being pinned by Ted DiBiase 
on Survivor Series 90. And here we are five years later, and this time, very evident when Bret Hart pins Diesel, he is not happy as he drops the MF bomb <laughs> when he sits up. And he, he loses it immediately, loses his big daddy cool, if you will, nails the referee, power bombs Bret twice, clocks three more referees. And if you listen to Jim Ross, the worst part of it all was he struck an official. And he stops selling the leg. His leg's up magically okay. That's right. Because now he needs to get his heat back. So the experiment of Diesel as world champion is over here. Oh, he's selling it there. Never mind. He's selling it. As he makes his way to the back and coming out of this pay-per-view immediately, you you know, your initial thought, you're trained to think, he's turned heel. Uh, But like everything else at this point in time, and I loved when they did this too, they go back and they show a, a video of clips, highlights, from the pay-per-view, I, I used to love when they, they didn't do it all the time, but whenever they did it, it was, it was fun. Kind of a reminder, a hodgepodge of everything that took place over the course of the night. Yeah, I love these. It, obviously, you're watching it. You don't just get up and go away and miss the finish or something like that. But it was always cool to get that recap because you, you're like, damn. Because a lot of times it's what you're left with. And... uh you're left with Brett laying in the ring. So they show you this replay and say, Oh damn, we missed all. I remember all this. This was awesome. You know, what a great, great show. And uh, these hodgepodge highlights just look great, man. I always enjoyed them. So cool. Yeah. Tremendous job from top to bottom was everything. Five star classics. Absolutely not. But I think everything outside of the gold dust match, which was tolerable here, this time around, it wasn't good, but it was tolerable. It was, no. I think it just went about eight minutes. So, I mean, as long as you can, yeah. you know, sit through some, eight minutes, then you're, you're okay. I'm trained nowadays to watch so much garbage that eight minutes is nothing really in the grand scheme of things. And that's really the only thing I can complain about on the entire card. Yeah, and, I'm with you, man. Like, all these matches were what you expect from a Survivor Series match. Like you said, quick tags, lots of action, and never lulls. And, uh, yeah, it's not the greatest workers. It's not the greatest matches. But if you love Survivor Series, this is kind of one of those last uh, of the good ones. Uh, it's a lot of people, to me personally, like I kind of stop at 95. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch 95 and then I'm kind of done. 96 is eh, 97 is terrible. I couldn't, tell you, I couldn't tell you one match on the 97 Survivor Series outside of the, the, the main event with Sean and Brett. I, I can't tell you one match. I can tell you that 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 was a terrible show. And the only reason that 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 Survivor Series gets any play is because of the screw job, because that's a a terrible, terrible show. And then by 98, it's the tournament. So um, this is kind of it for me. It's a deadly game. Terrible. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, this is this is pretty much it, man. And I, I. it stinks because I, I felt like they had a good concept, but like everything kind of runs its course. Yeah. And I don't know that they can't do this again, but I, I they're so far away from where they need to be to do this again, that they really can't do this again. If that makes any sense. Like they're yeah, never think, going to get back to where they need to be in order to pull this off. Is basically what I'm, what I'm getting at. And I agree with you, but really all it takes is a couple months of decent feuds that, last you know starting maybe a summer slam and then finish it up as survivor series sure but we don't we don't get that to work that's not how they operate though. that's why i said we're so far off vince changes his yeah. storylines weekly so yeah. <laughs> during the show sometimes 
Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, it's just, I feel like if you can do that, it's not hard to get to this point. No, and after a a, a long, long list of really bad pay-per-views, basically the entire year starts off with the Royal Rumble being every minute because the roster is so depleted that they don't feel they can handle uh, an hour-long match. And, and and it stay over with the fans. WrestleMania was a oh my god, what a lackluster card that was. Outside of Diesel and Sean, that what a terrible terrible show. And you just go on the they they introduce in your house. We we get Sid and Diesel and a pair of stinkers there. The the million dollar feud with Diesel and and Bam Bam Bigelow at King of the Ring, SummerSlam Diesel and Mabel. And it's not I keep saying Diesel, but it's not all Diesel. I mean. It's, a lot of the matches at, on the cards. Look at the names he's given. I mean, jeez. Mabel, Sid twice. So for them to be able to pull this off was, uh, you know, you kick off the night with a surprise return of Mr. Perfect. You get a bunch of your workhorses out there. Marty Jannetty, the one, two, three kid, Hakushi, Candido, guys like that. The women were extremely impressive for obvious reasons. Great talents, uh, especially from Japan. And they forced uh, Medusa to up her game like she had to do when she was in Japan. So again, like I said, it's a little lull there with, with Bigelow and Goldust, but maybe maybe if it was fresh, if we were really watching this back then, it was the aura of Goldust might have been a, made it a little more entertaining or at least a little more tolerable, I don't know. And then we get the return of The Undertaker, which that was the story there. His team held their own until Taker tagged in, and we got the finish I guess we really needed in that instance. And then you know, the wild card match was something different, and it was fairly entertaining. And like I said, there's always those fun comedy spots that weren't intentional to be comedy, but I always get a laugh out of them. Me and my brother always get a laugh out of them. So it was fun pointing that out to somebody else like you, and then I guess to the world now. Yeah, uh, I've seen them. I just never really put two and two together. Like I, I that's To be honest with you, that's the first time I've seen. Sid, look at Yoko like that. Like, dude, get the f out of here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I never noticed that before, and uh, it's it's hilarious and awesome. It just adds another layer to that match for me. So, um, thanks for pointing that out. Oh, absolutely, no problem. Anytime I <laughs> I can think of something that you know I saw years ago that I can <laughs> point back out to someone, uh, I, I try to do it. I try to preserve history, even if it's just uh, comedy history. Yeah, absolutely. But, the main event was great. I wasn't a big fan in 91 when they introduced a, a world heavyweight title match to the Survivor Series. It wasn't the Survivor Series I knew, but by 92, that was definitely not the Survivor Series I knew. So uh, when, when they went back to the survival format and just had like one match on the card that was one-on-one, I, I didn't complain so much once we moved back away from the 92 period or the, or that whatever the hell their idea was there. So I, I could, couldn't really complain, and you really couldn't ask for a better match, especially with Diesel involved. So you you get a match this good, and it doesn't matter what 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 show it's on. So I was fine with this closing the the Survivor Series pay per view, and top to bottom, really good. Uh, only thing I can do is ask our pa- patrons. I'm sure they already are if there are patrons uh, patrons, but uh, please go check out Monday Warfare: The Battles Within. These are great complimentary pieces. We've done Halloween Havoc, we've done World War Three, now we've done Survivor Series. They play in. You guys can listen to the Monday shows. And then when we get to the pay-per-view, you can come over to the patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and listen to these shows as you go along. So it's a really nice complimentary piece, as I said. And Steve, once again, thank you for knocking out another 1995 pay-per-view. I, I love this show. Again, like I said, it's like the end of Survivor Series to me, uh, as you know it, as you're supposed to know it. And um, 
I've always enjoyed that main event. It's one of my favorite matches. So, again, pleasure to be here. I'm happy to be here, and uh, thank you for having me again. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this special bonus edition of Survivor Series 95. Again, we want to remind you to go over to Twitter, at Wrestling Grenade, at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Click that follow button because we're giving away another free prize tonight. We continue to give away free prizes all the time, and you're automatically entered every time by simply following us at Wrestling Grenade on Twitter or follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade as well. Tonight, it's the October 92 WWF magazine featuring the Native American Tatanka on the cover. And I wanted to remind everyone also to go over to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash Copia, the $5 tier, the all-access tier. I should mention there's 14 tiers over there, as low as a $1 tier, guys. But the $5 tier is where it's at. You get all of the gifts that come along with the lower tiers, including my show notes and early access to the grenade shows unedited versions of TR Shocks the World, and of course, the $5 tier, the all-access tier, gets you our watch-along series. Uh, you guys can listen to shows like this, like Survivor Series 95. We also did World War Three. we did Starcade. we did the In Your Houses 5, 6, 7, 8. I, keep, I lose count of the numbers there. We did WrestleMania 12. We've done all the pay-per-views up through, I think we're in May, May, June. We're heading into June of 1996 on our Patreon account as far as pay-per-views go. So if you liked what you heard today, you'll hear a lot more of it. Of course, this is a retro. We recorded this a year ago. So Steve's microphone, the old version, he's got, a, a as you guys hear on the uh, current shows, even a, a even better microphone these days. Uh, but we were still getting started. We started back in July of 2020. This was recorded in November. So we only had a few months of experience at that time. And here we are a year later after we record that. Looking forward to doing more. So you guys head on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Please subscribe even for a month. Check it out. If you don't like it, there's no obligation to continue to commit. You can cancel at any time. And with all that out of the way, just want to say happy Thanksgiving once again to everybody. Happy Thursday to everyone as well. And we'll be back next week with more Wrestling Memory Grenade on the way as, as we do more of the WWF in 1993. It's a watch-along episode. Yes, another watch-along. We're going to cover two Shows from the European Rampage Tour the WWF did in April of 93. A show from the Group A team and the Group B team. So we're going to take a look at just about everyone in the company and what they were doing over in Europe throughout April of 1993. And there's going to be links posted for you guys to click, play, and watch along with us. So stay tuned for those links as well on our social media accounts as well as in the show notes when we post that episode next week. Be on the lookout for our next episode of WWF 1993 next Wednesday. For now, this is Ray Russell, and on behalf of my co-host Stephen Ekstad, who did that Survivor Series along with me, want to thank him for that. want to thank you guys out there, again, our loyal listeners, for continuing to listening to the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Keep us climbing those charts, and we'll see you again next week. Don't miss it. Be there! I'm thankful for having the most ravishing body in the WWF. I'm thankful because I ate Ricky Rude. <laughs>